Golden Circle proudly presents. You like spy movies, Mr. DeVille? Oh, when I was a kid, that was my dream job. Gentleman spy. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Kingsman The Golden Circle. I'm offering you the opportunity to become a Kingsman agent. I like a spy. Of sorts. Part of our Marvel movie retrospective series. The suit is a modern gentleman's armor. The Kingsman agents are the new knights. Hosted by Jacob. He's as much Kingsman material as any of them. Stuart. Huge IQ, great performance at school. And Arnie. Oh, you know your shit. This podcast will contain detailed movie spoilers and harsh language. It's very American. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Listener discretion is advised. Simple. The Kingsman. Let's get started. Today we're discussing Kingsman, The Golden Circle, starring Colin Firth, Julianne Moore, Taron Egerton, Mark Strong, Halle Berry, with Elton John, and Channing Tatum, and Jeff Bridges, directed by Matthew Vaughn. This here's your co-host and now playing, Arnie, but you can call me by my codename, Hard Cider. This is Stuart. I'm Champagne, but everyone who knows what's good for them calls me Jacob. <laughs> I've never called you champagne. <laughs> well, could you know what's good for you? Yes. So here we are back for Kingsman, the golden circle. Doesn't feel like it's been two years. Yeah. I mean, I always remember the first movie being tied with our effort to launch the book. There was a whole lot of nerves connected with that. Kickstarter was going live the next day and we were worried about if anyone would listen, if anyone would donate. Hugely successful Kickstarter campaign. Hugely successful Kingsman movie. It was just a positive time in my life. Yeah, it was great. We're here tying into the sequel. It was almost a race. Like, it would have been embarrassing <laughs> if the sequel came out and the book wasn't done yet. I mean, I would just have died of embarrassment. But not unlike this movie, it was a journey that was kind of unwieldy. Putting that book together, it was quite an adventure. We were surprised at how things would go and sometimes get tied up. But it is done. It is written. It is completed. It is in the process of being audio recorded. And it is in the process of being printed and soon should be in the hands of anyone that has ordered them or anyone that should want them for this holiday season. So did you guys think we would get a Kingsman sequel? Were you pining for it? I think I was the coolest on the original Kingsman. I don't think I was pining for one. I don't even think Mark Miller, the guy who wrote the comic book, was really pining for one. I mean, yeah, they have a new miniseries coming out in the comics, The Red Diamond, totally different than a gold circle. Different color, different shape, but like that's only got one issue. I, I think he's just cashing in on this. But no, you know, I rewatched the first one and my opinion pretty much remains the same. It's a fun spy movie. There's great scenes in it. We discussed all those, but I don't think I was like dying for a sequel to the see what happened with those characters. I figured we'd get one. I wanted it, uh, but, you know, I was nervous. In three words, kick-ass too. <laughs> I had the same thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes when you try to do it again, if it's a special cocktail, you don't get the formula right. And so I realized there was a chance for that. But it seemed like a really good foundation here. There were a lot of things about the world 
about the characters that I enjoyed. Mark Miller was very gung-ho for a sequel. He said with Kick-Ass 2, they learned the things not to do with a sequel. Matthew Vaughn took some of the blame for the Kick-Ass 2 problems. He said that he told the director of that film to try to match his style and kind of set him off on a suicide mission. Let's not forget, I mean, Matthew Vaughn, he produced Kick-Ass 2. He co-wrote Days of Future Past. He was set to direct that one, and he backed out. He basically, he didn't want to do Days of Future Past. He wanted to do a whole trilogy, and he's revealed recently he wanted Days of Future Past to be part three. And Fox and Brian Singer were like, no, it's going to be part two. And so he's like, all right, I just, I'm not feeling it. I've never felt it for any sequel but he had such a good time with the cast and crew of Kingsman that he did decide to come back. This is his first part two. Yeah, I was surprised because I thought he didn't do X-Men because he's busy doing Eddie the Eagle, which seemed like a very weird choice. It does have Egerton, Eggsy, and Wolverine in it, but he didn't direct that. He just produced it, but it had that Marv logo all over it. I thought he had gone off to do that, but no, this is the first thing he's directed since the original Kingsman. Now, there was another Kingsman comic. Did you read it, Jacob? Well, it just started. They have one issue out, The Red Diamond. It is not a Marvel comic. It is being published through another publisher, making me wonder, you know, we put this in the Marvel retrospective because if the first series was published by Marvel. It was on an imprint of Marvel. Yeah. Icon line, the same one that put out Kick-Ass. So not really Marvel, but I think we wanted to do it. So it's a good excuse. But yeah, I found it interesting that Mark Miller took the sequel comic. It is nothing about this movie. It is not the Golden Circle in adaptation. They took the comic one direction and the movies another. Yeah, I mean, you guys, I think, nailed it brilliantly when you reviewed the original comic. I mean, it was just the excuse to get this on the big screen. We live in a culture where movies don't get greenlit unless we know the source material. And so they just made enough of a comic book to get an original concept out there. I have no interest in reading the comic, and I like the first one, but it didn't seem to me to make sense in the printed medium. It seems to me like this is a Bond spoof, and you want that to be, you know, visual. We want to see it. Yeah, I try to categorize this when I was describing it to my wife, saying, hey, I got to go see this movie. She never seen the first one. You say Bond spoof. That makes me think Austin Powers. It's not quite that. It's more violent than a Bond movie, but it's got jokes. But yeah, it is a deconstruction, at least, of those Bond films. Yeah, and you know, I wonder if we would have gotten Deadpool if this first one hadn't done successfully. I feel like there's something about the mix of a reverent scatological humor and action. <laughs> Your favorite kind of humor. I feel like Fox was probably nervous to do the Deadpool and after Kick-Ass, probably very nervous to make an R-rated superhero film. And I think Kingsman might have given them the comfort zone to say, hey, we can explore R-rated comic book material. There's an audience for this. So yeah, certainly after Deadpool did well, I figured, yeah, the gloves are off. People are out there. They show up. They're showing up this weekend. This is doing big numbers. It's not it out of the top of the box office. Yeah, it's predicted to outgross the original $40 million opening weekend here in the States alone. The last one made over $400 million worldwide. And I saw this movie once on Thursday night. I went to the IMAX premiere here in town. Even though it wasn't 3D and it wasn't filmed with IMAX cameras, I went to see it with the IMAX picture and the IMAX sound. 
Then I went back to just a regular showing today. Neither showing for me was very packed. In fact, the showing I went to today had five people in it counting myself. But then I read a lot of interviews with Matthew Vaughn, with the cast, with the crew. And Vaughn is hoping to end this as a trilogy. He has planted seeds here that we'll talk about for a part three. And then he said that he could see spin-off films, individual character films, but he would like The Kingsman to be a trilogy. Yeah, I had the total exact opposite experience as you already had there. There are way more than five people. I would look online. I don't want to buy my tickets online because they charge you those service fees, but I look online to see the reserve seating chart. I'm like, oh man, that one's too packed. Okay, what about the next? Um, I finally just picked one where it, it was pretty packed except the first two rows maybe, but every showing I looked at on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night were pretty much full. Yeah, I miss LA crowds. I mean, it is more <laughs> fun to see a movie in LA because more people turn out and people tend to respond more. I did matinees here in uh, Springfield and I saw it with a lot of old people. They really love the Elton John stuff. That was the big hit. <laughs> Now, I got really into Kingsman, though. Since the first film, I'd say my esteem for the movie has gone up. I re-listened to our old podcast, and I realized I was a little harder on it than my emotions were now, but yet I still see all the same flaws with it before, but I got so excited... Stuart, I have a little celebration. If this is going to be a live podcast and hide all our listeners, we should do some online drinking, I think. I think we, this should be a drunk cast. <laughs> Uh-oh, the lips are going to be loosened. <laughs> I have the Statesman Old Forester. Remember we talked last time about how they made a partnership with a suit company for an entire Kingsman line of suits? I mean, it was a small, small order. How many batches of whiskey did they make? They only made 500. Now, the suits, they did three different lines of clothing because they kept selling out. They have made Kingsman clothing from the last movie till now, and they put new stuff in here that they could market, but they decided they wanted to partner with a good liquor company. There's a YouTube video you can watch where the president of Old Forester, Kentucky, talks about how they made a special Kingsman blend of bourbon for this. Wow. So it's not whiskey with or without an E. It's bourbon. <laughs> well, bourbon is whiskey. Okay, I don't know my drinks. So. <laughs> but what Matthew Vaughn said when it came to sequels is he felt like sequels only work if it continues the story with new things and a little bit of the old stuff. And he went to Fox and he really pitched a hard sell that you don't make sequels for people who didn't see the first film. And after reading that and then re-watching this movie, you can see that. He does not spend a lot of time reintroducing you to the characters, the places. There's a little bit of recap, a little bit of remember this, but he made this movie for people who saw the first movie, which did even better on home video than in theaters. And I mean, he listed his favorite sequels and they were like godfather 2 empire strikes back aliens rocky 2 terminator 2 things that take the story and keep carrying it forward so that's kind of what i'm gonna judge him by when rating this movie yeah that was a surprise to me how much of a direct sequel this was again my wife never saw that first one she's sitting next to me in the theater this time i kept having to lean over to her go oh that dog that's a whole thing from the first one i'll tell you about it later it'll make sense once i tell you about it the funniest i had two old gentlemen sitting next to me 
had to be in their 60s. And when that princess says, you know what happens when you save the world, one of the guys hadn't seen the first one. So I had these two geriatric men talking about anal sex and and what that meant. (laughs) Perhaps the funniest moment of the film. (laughs) I I had none of that. I think, uh, again, the crowd that I saw, they were into the Elton John. I'm glad I saw the first one again. I hadn't seen the movie since we did the podcast. So it actually was a good idea for me to watch it on DVD hours before I walked into the theater on Friday. And then I did watch it again just a few hours ago. Yeah, I've watched the first film probably a good... I don't know, dozen times or so since it first came out, mainly because I go on a fishing trip every year and it is, we're watching it once or twice just on that trip. So I've seen it there a number of times, but I did rewatch it just a few days before the sequel as well so that it was fresh in my mind. I don't have to be pushed hard to rewatch the original Kingsman, you know, again, Matthew Vaughn, other than Stardust, you know, that was the funny thing is (laughs) listening to our original Kingsman review, we hadn't watched Stardust yet or Layer Cake, but Matthew Vaughn, one of my favorite working directors, with Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class. I was really excited for this. How did you guys feel when you knew Colin Firth was returning? That was revealed in the first trailer. Did you feel that was necessary? Because Fox and Vaughn, they felt it was obligatory. Obligatory is like they had to do it because I feel like they didn't have to do it. And I'll talk about my feelings with what you're saying, how Vaughn feels about a sequel and what it should do. Kind of it starts making me realize why this film pans out the way it does and some of the problems I do have with it. But I don't think Firth had a return. I Have a death count for something every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a series. I mean, I actually think that they didn't want to put it all on the hands of Taron Edgerton, who's still an unknown. I got to say, even in the time since, Eddie the Eagle, did anyone see it? I don't know. I did. <laughs> did you? Yeah, it's all right. I would give it a recommend. Okay, well, I'm still not going to watch it. The point is, <laughs> Taron, to me, feels like Kingsman. Like, this is the Kingsman guy. If I'm going to see this guy, this feels like his series. I know him from this. Kind of like the Roger Moore thing, you know, or really even Sean Connery for the longest time. I think, you know, he's typecast, but in a good way. And the series had been gifted to him by the end. He didn't have to go back to his mentor. When the first film came out, they felt like Colin Firth was such a success in that film, plus having a name as a draw in. They thought they needed to repeat that. And I remember reading interviews at the time where... Vaughn was saying things like he thought about maybe having flashbacks. Maybe there would be a story that started with Harry and ended with Eggsy or something like that. You know, a little bit kind of Godfather 2-ish at that point. But I didn't know they were going to bring him back in the present time till that first trailer hit. And there's a couple characters that came back we'll get talking about. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think with sequels, that's always the balance. How much do you reference your old self? How much do you allow for new things? And I think as we get into the movie, we can see how many new jokes there are as opposed to remembering when. Arnie, how about a plot? It's been one year since the first movie in which we got to see Taron Egerton's street punk character Eggsy raised to be a Kingsman spy, and the death of his mentor Harry Hart, played by Colin Firth. But in this movie, the Kingsmen are no more, as every single Kingsman agent has been killed. Super drug lord Poppy, played by Julianne Moore, has hacked the Kingsman system to find the location of all their secret bases and fired missiles at them. It even killed Eggsy's pug, JB. Eh, mm, it's rough. But Eggsy himself lived because he was in Sweden, meeting the parents of his girlfriend, Prince Tildy, played by Hannah Alstrom. 
The only other survivor was Kingsman tech staff Merlin, played by Mark Strong. The two enact the Doomsday Protocol, which sends them to the Statesman facility in Kentucky. The Statesman are a private agency, like the Kingsman, but the Statesman invested in booze, not in clothes. They're led by Champagne, or Champ, played by Jeff Bridges. They also have Agent Tequila, played by Channing Tatum, Agent Whiskey, played by Pedro Pascal, and tech genius Ginger Ale, played by Halle Berry. And, surprisingly, they also have Harry. The agent survived the bullet to the head by Valentine, but only barely. That church incident was only 11 miles from the Statesman facility. They were en route when Harry was shot. And the quick actions of Ginger Ale saved Harry's life, but he had amnesia. The Statesman didn't know who he was, and he didn't know Merlin or Eggsy. This is when Poppy's diabolical plot kicks in. She has released a poison into her drugs that will kill every drug user in the world. The only way to save them is if the world's governments agree to legalize all drugs and grant Poppy immunity. The poison even infects Agent Tequila and Princess Tilda. After some exercises, Eggsy is able to restore Harry's memory by reminding Harry of his little pup, Mr. Pickle. But Harry still isn't completely right, lacking some coordination and hallucinating butterflies. So Harry, Agent Whiskey, and Eggsy go in search of the cure. They find the cure, but Agent Whiskey breaks the vial, seemingly accidentally. But Harry shoots Whiskey in the head, believing the statesman to be a traitor. Ginger treats the wounded Whiskey, while Eggsy, Harry, and Merlin infiltrate Poppy's secret base in Cambodia, where she is protected by her henchman and former Kingsman flunky, Charlie, played by Edward Holcraft, now with a robotic arm. Also in her base, she has Elton John for her own amusement, and apparently no other reason. En route to the base, Merlin sacrifices himself on a landmine, creating a distraction for Harry and Eggsy to attack. They take out all of Poppy's goons, they inject Poppy with poisoned heroin, and get her to reveal the password to release the cure, but they accidentally killed Poppy with an OD of H. But before they can enter the password, Agent Whiskey comes in to stop them. He too believes Poppy's poison is a good thing. Let the drug abusers die, since two meth heads kill his wife. There's a big battle, Agent Whiskey versus Harry and Eggsy, but the two Kingsmen overpower and kill the rogue statesman. And back in Kentucky, Ginger is promoted to the new Agent Whiskey, and the statesmen open a distillery in Scotland, making them the full partners of the Kingsmen. Recovered Agent Tequila even dons a proper suit to join the Kingsmen in London. And we end with Eggsy, standing by Harry in a church, where he is marrying Prince Tilda, and a rescued Elton John is playing music for the ceremony, as credits roll. So, the movie starts off much like... Any James Bond film, we're not going to have a dramatic scene, we're not going to have anything except a pure action scene. Not even like the first one, where we kind of start with the credit scene and the money for nothing. This is, Eggsy comes out of work, some bagpipes play, some John Denver, and boom, we're in it. Yeah, the first film, we got a car chase eventually towards the beginning, but this one feels much more James Bond with a action sequence just to kick it off. It, of course, it's going to tie into the rest of the film, but I am shocked how much of a direct sequel this is. I thought that guy was dead, so I'm like, oh, how are they going to retcon this now? Yeah, he calls him Eggy, and again, that's a minor joke from the first film, but you wouldn't necessarily remember Charlie if you had seen the movie two or three years ago. Again, I was so glad that I had that early morning screening of the original just to put it in context this isn't going to be the first of many i don't think you have to watch the original because i think so much of the original is going to be brought back in little and small ways they are trying to do what they did in the original again and the adrenaline the action is as good as the first film in this moment it's weird that it's not 3d because it 
feels like this action should have been shot for a 3D camera the way it slows down. And they did that in the last film, but there was times here where it's just a little too CGI with trying to fight in this confined space in the taxi cab, which again is a cool idea. It's just the way they shot it feels a little plastic, I guess, to me. You realize that they are never where they're supposed to be, that this all is blue green screen. I noticed that even watching the first movie of like how much of that, the parkour and all of that, that I thought was so awesome. It's very good. It's very seamless, but if you look hard enough, if you squint, you can see that they're not really in these locations. Vaughn really likes to have stylized action, and he worries about the style more than the realistic nature of it. It is very cartoony, but I do like the style. I mean, it never feels entirely real. It always has a lack of verisimilitude because there is so much green screen going on. I couldn't tell you what is real and what isn't. I'm guessing there was no car, no movement. They just did this all on some green foam. I don't know. But it's a fun fight. You say you need to remember the first film to see Charlie. I don't think that helps. If they hadn't done the split screen through Eggie's Google Glass to show how Charlie looked, he looks so different. He's bulked up. He shaved his head. You know, he says that Eggie looks like a gentleman and he looks like a player now. But it is such a physical transformation. You could have said that was Charlie. I thought it was a different actor. I saw the trailers that have Charlie in them. I never went, oh, hey, that guy's back. Well, this isn't an actor that I, I could just rolls off the tip of my tongue. I kept thinking of him as, at least in that first film, he looks like a fake James Franco to me, or an English <laughs> version of James Franco. With the shaved head, he does look different here. He is very Franco. The one thing I also liked about this is Eggsy's head hits the computer in there. They start playing Let's Go Crazy, a Prince song, a fun song from the past, you know, really hitting kind of like Money for Nothing, an 80s hit. But I looked it up. Is Prince's body even cold yet? Because that song is from Purple Rain. It has never been licensed for any movie in Prince's lifetime. Now that he's dead, Universal's out there. You want to buy a song? You want to buy a song? Oh, no. Whoever owns the rights is Pimp and all that stuff. He used to shut everything down on YouTube. You can actually find Prince songs on YouTube now. Like, yeah, whoever holds the rights to that stuff now are definitely cashing in. Yeah, I realize this is not a Prince podcast, but I... <laughs> you can go to Paisley Park now. They've opened it up like a theme park. I've been there. And so, yes, they've monetized him. And this isn't necessarily a song that fits any particular mood. We don't even really know why Charlie is back. We presume it's revenge, but that quickly gets debunked. If it's revenge, he's got his golden gun. He could have gotten the first shot off and there would be no movie. Yeah, no, the big surprise with Charlie, and again, when this action doesn't quite work for me, I love a lot of the concepts because I do see Vaughn going full comic book in these movies. I mean, that last film when their heads exploded into fireworks, this one we're going to have robot dogs. And when Charlie ends up having a Terminator arm, I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. Let's see where this goes. This is a total Winter Soldier rip, though, isn't it? I mean, we thought Charlie was dead. We thought he died in Valentine's space with the head explosion. And he's back. He's got a robotic arm. And then it's even like Crossbones in Captain America Civil War, where Black Widow tries to tase Crossbones. And Crossbones is like, I don't work like that no more. Here, Eggsy tries to tase Charlie. And Charlie's like, I don't work like that anymore. I feel like Matthew Vaughn is at best paying homage to the two Captain America films. That we're stealing? <laughs> it didn't occur to me, but you're absolutely right. I guess it was there. It, again, it begs the question, what's he doing? I thought he was having a problem with the radio. I thought he wasn't a Prince fan. He keeps reaching for the controls. I'm thinking that's obviously why he's there, and we'll end up finding out that the robotic arm is 
able to hack the system. They had told us in the trailers that this is about the Kingsman getting wiped out and starting all over again. So I knew that much about the movie, but I didn't anticipate Charlie coming back. And there's a lot about the movie I didn't know. Yeah. But Charlie gets kicked out of the car. We're going to continue a car chase. There are three unknown cars also chasing Eggsy there. We're going to find out they're all part of this golden circle that I talked about. And now we get a pretty decent car chase. Eggsy gets behind the wheel. He skids the wheels to move a car sideways. I don't know if that's possible, but it's kick-ass. It is a Mario Kart, I think. (laughs) You get some awesome drift bonuses. Yeah, Tokyo Drift. This was my favorite (laughs) Fast and the Furious. Yeah, I was just thinking that Eggsy needs to head over to Tokyo because he'll be the total drift king the way he skids around those two. What I want to see is a race between Eggsy and Baby and see who can drift better around those corners because it's been a good summer for drifting. But we did get this in that first Kingsman. Again, I feel like we're going to hit a lot of those same notes. We got a car chase and I like the one in the first Kingsman more where he's driving backwards. I felt that one was more physical. When you get that awesome drift shot, it's probably just a CGI shot, but I like what they're telling with it. It matters that this is a spy car and that it can do a amazing things like it has heat seeking missiles just three of them so it's good that only three cars were coming after him (laughs) yeah yeah well maybe he had more you know you never know but the point is he's just trying to get to a place that's unpopulated so that he can wipe them out otherwise because they're heat seeking they might end up hitting some other car in traffic i presume that's why he drives into hyde park well merlin doesn't want him to take him out I, i felt like merlin wants to find out what's going on he wants to do the detective work but yeah maybe you're right it's just He didn't want it to happen in the city, so he gets him to this Hyde Park. Merlin says that it can't be contained. Now, I'm not sure if he means the explosion can't be contained and there will be collateral damage, or if it means that they can't keep secret, because we wondered in the last movie what the Kingsman relationship was with real authorities. And here we're going to find that Eggsy has to run from the cops just as much as any bad guy does. The police are coming. Eggsy's going to have to flee from them after blowing up these cars. So when he says can't be contained, maybe there would just be too much of an investigation of three explosions downtown where people can take a lot of camera phone video. But if you do it in an isolated area, people will find some destroyed cars but never really know what happened. But then he has to drive underwater, hold his breath way too long. I tried to measure that. I think that was a callback to when he held his breath way too long in the first film during training. But yeah, this step on the gas. Get this car to move a little bit quicker. You are drowning in it. Yeah, it goes pretty slow down there. And he gets down there. He says he has to go to something really important. He's going to swim through shit to get to this thing. And I'm really disgusted when you see, like, toilet paper down there. Oh, my wife closed her eyes. She couldn't watch this scene. Taron Egerton really sells the disgust of the smell of it. And you think he's just going to stay down there and miss the event. He says it's so important he's jumping in. I knew from the trailers he was going to go and meet the king and queen of Sweden at some point in this movie. I felt like that was the only thing worth jumping in shit for. I'm sorry, Stuart. I've known you most of my life. But if I was going to miss your birthday party or have to swim through shit, I'll wish you a belated birthday. Yeah, he says he's got something so important he's got to get to. I didn't realize Swedish royalty was in the trailer. I thought he was going to go see his mom. Maybe it was his sister's birthday. They're not in this film. I don't know what's happened to them, but they're gone. Yeah, I wouldn't have predicted. It's against spy movie formula. James Bond never kept a girl, right? Well, when I realize he's with Princess Tildy, I'm thinking Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm thinking she's dead at the beginning of this film because of that. Yeah, I agree. You're marked at that point. Yeah, There's no way that they're going to have a monogamous 
spy who's faithful and jumps into rivers of shit. It's humbling and humiliating, and yet they have good chemistry. I didn't really care much about her in the last film, but when she's willing to give him a kiss and he's shit-stained, it is true love. And yeah, it does have me rooting for her. Even though, yeah, I figure she's marked for death. I didn't think that necessarily. I thought this would be an interesting exploration of it, and... A little bit later on, I thought they were going to break up. I thought I knew where this movie was going. I was so wrong. But at the beginning here, just going to the mate's party and seeing that they smoke weed, there's a bong there, they want Eggsy to drink with them. I also think I know where this movie is going. I figured that whatever's going to happen, Eggsy's going to get some of these bad drugs. I figured he smoked up off camera here. It would be a mid-act reveal that he smoked some weed at this party. But no. And really, I was a little disappointed. Only Jamal was from the first film with those two guys. Brandon, who's going to die pretty soon. He wasn't in the first film. The meth head. And Eggsy is still hanging out with the meth head. I like the scene that showed Eggsy still dresses down. He's still himself. He didn't forget where he came from. But... With a meth head? I think at a certain point, you gotta cut ties. Yeah, I guess he did have a glass pipe. Maybe he was chasing the dragon in his heroin. I'm not sure. But I do feel like the crux of Kingsman is to have that dynamic between street and aristocracy. So I, I am too glad that they still have Eggsy interacting in his old hood. And, and there's still that element to it. I, I feel like that is pivotal to a Kingsman story. I would never claim that the first movie played it safe. But I am wondering if they pulled their punch here. I do feel like this story is going to explore recreational drug use, the role of illegal drugs in society. And yes, was this a debate about drinking liquor or was this a debate about smoking up with his friends when he knows he needs to be sober for the dinner party? Why would he be worried about being hung over the next night for royalty? That feels weak. It feels like they changed that because I guess even in an R-rated movie, we don't want to see our main character be a recreational drug user. But yet they're going to do that with Channing Tatum a little later on. So it's an interesting thing. But then we finally do get to meeting the king and queen. The event that I knew was coming comes pretty quick into this. And here's where I think this movie is going is we got a little bit of Cyrano de Bergerac going on here where Eggsy's sitting there. He's got his glasses on. The king is grilling him about everything from the origin of Bluetooth, which techie though I am, I never knew that. I did look it up. Everything said in this movie about Bluetooth being named after some historical person is true. They used Wikipedia. Yep, they did. As did Roxy back home. And when Eggsy texts her and says, you're the best, and she says, best agent or best friend, and he says both. This is the love story, right? This is the triangle. Yes, yes. That's exactly what I thought. I thought by the end of the movie, he was going to realize that royalty wasn't for him, and he and Roxy should go off together. Imagine how shocked I was when they killed Roxy about 60 seconds later. <laughs> ah, we don't see a body. She got up and started to run. Again, there's a lot of bodies we don't see, and after what they did with Harry. I don't know if anyone's dead. I'm going to rule that Roxy is dead, and my reasoning has nothing to do with in-story. It has to do with the fact is who is this actress? Has she done anything? Was she even a big part of the original movie? Yeah, she was! <laughs> we liked her. She was good competition, but, you know, we're used to spies that aren't monogamous, so I feel like I would be comfortable watching him partner with new 
agents, female or otherwise. What does she bring? If she has a hit movie before they make Kingsman 3, <laughs> then no, she's not dead. But if she can't figure it out, then I think this one will stick. I'm just still upset about JB. I know. I couldn't believe they killed JB, too. They brought JB back. He's a grown dog now. Did you see the original JB attended the premiere of Kingsman wearing a little tuxedo? It was adorable. No. I posted it to now playing. You should check that out. Just very cute dog. And this is a different JB, but yeah, one of Eggsy's new friends is dog sitting, finds the grenade, finds the glasses, and that's going to clue Eggsy in that he's one of the only Kingsmen to survive. Is he living at Harry's house? Was it Harry's house that's blown up? Yeah, I think it is because we've seen he's taken down all the tabloids. He's got only three tabloids. He's only had three successful missions, I guess. It's only been a year, so every four months, that's a pretty good run. But yeah, I took it that this was Harry's place because they still had, what, Mr. Pickles on the mantle in the bathroom. Yeah, and he's Galahad. I mean, I think if you're Galahad, you live in the Galahad house, just like Lancelot lives in the Lancelot house. And it's the whole thing about the addresses. No matter who you're taking the place of, you're going to literally live in their domicile. Yeah, can I nitpick a little bit? They steal all the Kingsman's addresses, this Poppy who we'll talk about in a little bit. I guess it's just that they all sit at home at night. They all get wiped out because they're just sitting, I guess, with their tumbler having a drink. It was mentioned in an introductory scene. There's a lot of them. I think it takes a while to get this story going, but basically they all had a nine o'clock meeting or a 1900 hours. They were all supposed to check in. So I presume that their little hologram originates from their house. That is true because we do see the holograms disappearing one by one with whoever the new Michael Caine character is. Yeah, an absolute nobody who's <laughs> going to be killed. <laughs> what are you talking about? Michael Gambone? That's a terrible thing to say. And you're wrong. Dumbledore. I mean, come on. Oh, that's right. It was Dumbledore, too. Yeah. But that's his popular. I mean, he's a very <laughs> lauded stage. Anyway, moving on. That's He's not a nobody. But Eggsy never redecorated that house. There were still the butterflies all over. That's what I really remembered. It was a strange thing about the first film we brought up is that Harry's house had butterflies all over it. We were wondering, did they... Which they never explained in that first film. I paid attention for that, so I guess they had plenty of room to retcon who Harry is in this. The other thing I should probably mention at this point is the first cut of this film, and I am not talking about the work print. I know what a work print is and everything, but Matthew Vaughn and Colin Firth both said that the first cut of this film, when they brought it all in, was about three hours and 20 minutes. And if you watch the trailers, there's a lot of scenes that aren't in this movie. They had to cut this movie way back, an hour out of this film, to get it to a theatrical running time, and it's still longer than the first. But there's scenes, I wanted to know what the scene was, where Eggsy is with Channing Tatum, and Eggsy says, well, that's very American, and Channing goes, fuck yeah! I mean, that was in a couple of the trailers, and I wanted to see that scene, it wasn't in there. There's also a scene in the trailer where Poppy is narrating that she has this plot, she doesn't want the Kingsman to interfere, and she's almost demonstrating for somebody these missiles blowing everybody up. I feel that would have helped because when I look at this movie, I'm like, all right, we know the Golden Circle is there. We know Poppy is there. We know she's behind it because she's going to gloat over it. But how does she know of the Kingsman? Why did she feel like she had to take them out? Why was this a necessary prerequisite for her drug plan? I don't think the movie explains it well in this cut. No, they don't explain it at all. I mean, why take out the Kingsman when you're going to hold the Americans hostage? You're going to go after the American president. I think she's going over the world drug populace, but the Kingsmen don't know what the Golden Circle is. So they're not even close to finding this out. The reason why she takes them out is because Charlie has come to work for her and he says, I know how to get these guys and she rewards him with a new arm so that's why they do it then i guess charlie is a new acquisition 
But there's no reason to believe that the Kingsmen are a threat if they've never heard of her organization. And that's, of course, Poppy's whole flight in life. Is She's the most successful businesswoman, but it's not even a glass ceiling. It's an invisible wall. No one can see her. I get Poppy's going to say she wants to be famous, but why do you file down your teeth and remove all the fingernails, but you're going to put a gold tattoo on everyone <laughs> to mark your organization? I guess it is vanity, and, and that's Poppy's thing. I will say I love the introduction here. They take the shot straight from from the first one, the first one, they go from the snow globe into the Alps or wherever Mark Hamill was being held hostage. Here, they zoom in through a bag of pot and it turns into the jungles of Cambodia. It's the same shot. I just like how it was used here more. You know, a big part of what I loved about the first film, and I talked about it, I felt like I was alone in this corner too, Sam Jackson. I thought the villain was great. I thought his performance was great. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio might have made more sense because he is an environmentalist. Be that as it may, if he had to send his Django Unchained co-star in to fill in for him, Sam did a great job. Here, I really like Julianne Moore, and I think she has fun with the ironies of this character. But at, at no point do I understand how this person became the head of all drug trade. She says she's not a user, but she's the monopoly of drug dealing i think that there should be something shown more to her when writing her matthew vaughn said he had about four people in mind that he was trying to mix together to be this character and it was mrs brady mrs cunningham from happy days martha stewart and then throwing in hannibal lecter who you know the actress played against in hannibal yeah the, one of the worst ones yeah, that's not a proud moment for Julian. Stuart, I do agree. I've come around on Samuel Jackson as Valentine when I rewatched it before this one. And I'm like, ah, you know what? I actually like his performance. It's funny. It's engaging. I feel like, again, Vaughn's like, yeah, we got to do that kind of wacky villain thing again. So we're going to have Poppy and she has Poppy Land and it's all fake 1950s. But it feels less sincere. Like Samuel Jackson, when he's telling fake Obama, look, this is the only way we could save the world with climate change. Like, I feel like Valentine really believes that poppy i don't get her motivate look you wanted to legalize all drugs now you're paying taxes you're paying fees you got osha laws you got to go by you're going to have walmart coming in and being a competitor this is an awful plan yes competition if she has the corner of the market and presumably if you are smoking crystal meth or doing cocaine or heroin if you're doing any kind of drug you're using her drug because everyone that does drugs gets the blue veins here gets the blue rash she supposedly cornered the market that much it makes no sense that she would want to bring in competition in here it's just the irony. You know, Valentine was a man that was committing mass murder but couldn't stand the sight of blood. Here, she's a vegan that doesn't do drugs. She's wholesome. And I think in her heart, she would live in that Greece theme park land. But it just so happens that this is how she made her money. And so she's going to serve cannibal burgers and deal in these hardcore illicit drugs. I just wish there was something hard-edged to her to show how she got there. Because you have to be pretty ruthless to become the queen of illegal drugs. I mean, she serves human burgers. But how did she get the minions to be so loyal? I mean, I know she has robot dogs, but you have to get the money from the drugs first. Where'd you get the tech? Where'd you get the scientists to make them? Yeah. Yeah. And I just wish I understood the logic behind her plan. I understand that there are a lot of places pushing to legalize weed i'm in one of them california it's legal i could see legalizing maybe cocaine but you're not going to legalize crystal meth you're not going to legalize crack 
You know, there's a certain level at which they're just going to say it's a bad thing and we're not going to legalize it. And she's going down the line. She's like crystal meth, heroin, legalize it all. I do feel like the, that first Kingsman, you can kind of see the logic in Valentine's plan. Look, if there's really nothing we can do, make everyone drive electric cars. Is that the only solution? Maybe I can see that actually being a serious debate. I find it morally reprehensible. But this, no, let's have the debate. Can we open clinics where people, they do these like in Canada, where you could go to a clinic in Canada, shoot up with heroin, they have a nurse there making sure you don't OD. I just feel like this is a less mature discussion about, let's call it out, the opium problem in the U.S. Like that's a huge issue right now. And I just feel this trivializes it. And yeah, they had some fun with climate change in the last one. But I do feel like they took it more serious than they are here. I feel like they're damning drug users when, you know what, you're going to damn someone that smokes some marijuana? Come on. Yeah, Valentine had a cold logic to his plan that was hard to shake. You could dismiss him because he was a bad guy. He was a Bond villain. But there was the point he was making that felt true. Here, Poppy is all fantasy. There's no threat here. There's no Poppy out there in the world. There's, I mean, people grow their own pot. It's legal now. You can get it anywhere in California and in most of the 50 states. This feels less tethered to the real world and worse for it. Yeah, I don't know what this movie's trying to say. I got with the last movie. There was an actual climate debate there that we had on the show like if everybody's gonna die does it make sense to call the population here poppy's plan is utterly ridiculous i feel julian moore i guess if this is what vaughn was going for was this it's not really a 50s land she talks about how she likes the 50s nostalgia of the 70s and so it's like happy days land where she has a diner and she has a theater and it's all chrome and all perfected idealized 50s I guess if they wanted that Mrs. Cunningham, Julianne Moore delivers it well. I think I've just fault the conception of this villain and her plot as delivered in this shorter cut. Well, she's lonely. She's built a theme park in which no one can come. She has to remain in hiding, and she knows people would love to see what she's done there, and I don't think it's all for her. I think on some level, that's why she has in this moment here these two guys that she's like, oh, I want to tell you all of my plans, and I want you to eat at my diner and work at my salon and all of that, is that truly success has not been good for her because it's meant that she's had to live in hiding. She's got her own theater, and when I saw Captain Fantastic, there's a Viggo Mortensen movie called Captain Captain Fantastic, which is like, he lives in the woods and homeschools his kids. I'm like, that's a really weird reference. I didn't realize it was an Elton John reference until he shows up. I didn't either. I thought it was a movie theater. I'm like writing down what it says on the side. It says the bitch is back. I'm like, was that a movie? Oh no, I knew that was Elton John. Well, no, I knew there's an Elton John song called the bitch is back. I wondered if there was an obscure fifties movie that Elton John based his song off the name of or something. And the dogs are Benny and Jet. I mean, she's obsessed with Elton John. And she makes reference, again, going back to that first film. Oh, yeah, we found him. He was, I guess, locked up. He wasn't willing to go with Valentine's plan, so she just kidnapped him. No, no. What she says is because Valentine was kidnapping so many people, she decided to take advantage of that and kidnap her favorite celebrity right then. The truth of it is Elton John was approached to be in Kingsman 1 by Matthew Vaughn and basically said, fuck off. And then Elton John saw Kingsman 1, called up Vaughn, said, listen, I'm sorry, I was a mega douche. 
I will do Kingsman 2, you name the time and place, and Vaughn's like, yay, I get to work with Elton John. And the humiliation, like, I feel like he humiliates himself in this. I, I mean, maybe he's having fun, but man, I, it can't be fun to be Elton John in this film. It doesn't thematically work. Again, it's part of my struggle with Poppy is like, I don't understand why this character is the drug cartel leader, and I don't understand why Elton John would be her entertainer. What does that have to do with the 50s? What does that have really have to do with drugs? I guess Elton did do drugs, but there's a performer in the 70s. Everybody did drugs. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like there are other rockers that typify that lifestyle more clearly. I, I think most of them are dead, though. Jimi yeah. Hendrix, <laughs> Janis Joplin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you may be right on that. This is who they could get, and certainly he's a big pop star, and they want to have songs on the soundtrack, and they're not going with Iggy Azalea this time. They're definitely, I mean, <laughs> I could see it in my old crowd, was they were bobbing their heads every time he was at the piano. I just think he doesn't fit as well, and I feel like he's the Mark Hamill of this film. He's the one who's a little bit out of shape, a little bit out of place. He looks as bad as Mark Hamill looked in that last film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he's wearing that tracksuit, I feel bad for Elton John. I do feel like, as you said, Jacob, he's humiliating himself in yeah. this movie. I'm fine with him in the outlandish get-ups. You say he's a popular musician, Stuart. I think he used to be. I don't know the last time he had a hit of any sort. I think he's now a nostalgia act, but Poppy is into nostalgia, so it makes sense in that way. Yeah, exactly. He was, I mean, I think he had 30 years of charting in the top 10. So, I mean, he is... A huge legend that, I mean, once you reach that level, it doesn't matter if you've had recent hits or if the young people know you, you can play Vegas forever. And I think that's where he's been all this time. What's the difference between Poppy Land and Vegas, I wonder? I don't know. <laughs> I guess you don't get blue veins. And this is where we get the introduction of the rash that she's turned all of her drugs into a time bomb in which everyone who uses them potentially will die. And Elton John's the first one to do it. So we're going to see a little bit of a devious Elton John. I don't know what drugs he's doing. I'm guessing he smoked a little weed with new hunchman Angel, who just showed up, had to kill his longtime friend in order to get the gig and is immediately going to break the rules and start smoking some weed on the job. And yes, the first symptom of this poison is that you're going to get the blue veins and there's going to be a little demo the second is mania i feel like there's not enough mania in this everybody that they show in the demo is like dancing and popping and locking i feel like they need more of that i feel like they got mania so channing tatum could do a dance yeah. <laughs> at this point it's contractually obligated this is the second movie in one week in which it's had channing tatum and john denver in it logan lucky has a country roads all over it better movie too didn't Alien Covenant also have John Denver calling them to the planet? Yeah, I think it did. I like Poppy Land. I understand she says she's kind of trapped there. She can't go other places, but she can bring people to her. There's also another setup here because we see Charlie comes to visit her. He's not satisfied with the landmine, so he wears some blue suit. He doesn't trust that they're all going to be turned off successfully. So we're setting up that her little area in the ruins there is surrounded by landmines but we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with poppy at this point once the poison is introduced we are going to spend a lot of time in the states because they execute the doomsday protocol they end up going to kentucky and interesting choice that they're going to look at southern culture i lived in kentucky for a while so it is definitely right there 
where you've got the southern accents, you've got the southern culture, but it's bordering on the north, so it feels like it's a hybrid state. You know what? Can I complain a little bit? I know our British listeners, they always complain with how Americans depict them in film. Like, the last film, they went to Kentucky to fight the fake Westboro Baptist Church. Is this what America is to foreigners? Kentucky, rednecks, drunks. We have the Founding Fathers. We have Boston. We have the Minutemen. We have the Tea Party. But no, our version of Kingsmen are going to be a bunch of alcoholics. I feel like this is, might be an apology for the church stuff because they're cool. Well, you don't need to apologize for Westboro Baptist. I don't know. That was a, and remains, I think, a sticking point for me, even rewatching it, was the idea that we were to root for anybody to kill themselves. No matter whether you agree with them or not, I certainly don't agree with them. But I don't know that I can root for their utter annihilation either. It, it didn't make Colin Firth look like a hero to do it. And I think it's still a really tough moment here. It, this is a way of going there and then showing that there's cool people as well, I suppose. I guess I didn't have a problem with killing the Westboro Church either in the last movie, but I can see what you're saying here. I find it very fun that, yeah, the Americans care about the whiskey and the booze and the, was the English who were going to be so formal. We are introduced first to Agent Tequila. And not Tila Tequila. I kept thinking that every time you said tequila. <laughs> Thank God. I'll be a little bit harder because it sounds like you guys are like, oh, it's fun that they're going to grow stereotypes of Americans. I think it's lazy. Come on. You could say that maybe they had a laugh at themselves. British gentlemen are these guys that wear suits and they're stiff and they're proper. But there was more sincerity in selling the gentleman aspect. That first movie is about what it is to be a gentleman. And here, they say they might do a Statesman spinoff, but are they cool enough to have their own movie? Here's the thing. I kind of like the idea. Oh, okay, we're going to go to America. I Look. I poke fun at our own culture all the time. Sure. Oh, yeah. I'm not easily offended by that. So the fact that, yeah, we're going to be liquored up cowboys is kind of funny. That is the joke, and there is nothing else but that. And that is my problem. Like, at some point, that should wear off, and there should be something just like with British upper crust aristocracy. Oh, but look it, we got this hood. We don't see that with the statesmen, and I thought we'd get... A lot more of that because the Kingsmans are dead now. But Channing Tatum, glorified cameo. Jeff Bridges, glorified cameo. We're, we're just going to get this other guy, Whiskey. I think that one of the issues is how do you stereotype all Americans and not make it gross? You know, how would you do it if it was Midwestern or something? By going Southern, there are tropes upon which they can pull. I don't think at any point that they're playing down to that. I think it's an interesting time because right now I feel America is anti-Southern, if you can believe it. Like, it's in the most time since the 1800s, I feel like we're looking down upon the Southerners and especially, I know that I was thinking, wow, one of the agent whiskey, his... <laughs> car horn is Dixie. And I know that that's considered a bad racist song now, whereas I grew up with it as the car horn on the Duke's hazard. So bringing Southerners in as heroes, I thought was an interesting choice at this time. And I like the Statesmen. I think they are fun. I think they are cool. And to me, I'm not a Southerner, but to see them use the tropes of the whip and the lasso and the big hats and the everything, but making them really classy, you know, the nicest parts of country and Western there is. They were fun and they were as other to me as the Kingsmen are other because they're British. You've hit on something. Maybe part of it is I do have Southern roots. And so like all of my family is in the South. It is in Atlanta and South Carolina and what have you. There's a certain kind of gentility. You know, there's a Southern gentleman. I think maybe that's 
where they started, where like what's the equivalent to a British gentleman is a Southern gentleman. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, but it ends up just being a bunch of cowboy hats and whiskey and lassos. And that goes away real fast, that Southern gentleman thing, when we get tequila torturing Merlin and Eggsy. Yeah, that was strange. He doesn't believe them. Like, they don't know about each other, apparently. This feels, honestly, tonally all over the place. I do feel like this movie, because it has so much going on, it's a common problem with any sequel. We're expanding the universe. Yeah, it's much too long. Cut a half hour out of it. Well, that means you're taking your eye off of the main characters and the main conflicts. It's really hard to follow sometimes what's going on and who we should be rooting for. If we're supposed to like Channing Tatum, it's because we like Channing Tatum, not because we like tequila. Agreed. And I think that Channing Tatum was generous giving them a couple weeks on set so that they could use his name and his picture in the ads, try to bring in some new blood. But he does not do much here. I'll be honest, I have some real problems with the pacing of this movie. I think the first 30 minutes of this movie is really good, where we're being reintroduced to Eggsy, we've got the car chase, we've got all of that going on, and the Kingsmen blow up. And we have the Doomsday Protocol, they start drinking at 30 minutes, we are going to have a very long hour next where not a lot happens that's fun or exciting. It doesn't have to be all action scenes. There's going to be a couple minor things that happen. They're going to try to drown Harry. There's going to be another bar fight. We'll talk about both of those when we get there. But the next hour is a lot of more dull investigation. I don't think James Bond would let this long go without something major happening. The story doesn't move. Yeah, I was thinking James Bond and, you know, set up some of the plot action scene, a little bit more of the plot action scene. This, I'm not getting those action pieces frequently enough. I feel like they should be joining the statesmen. I mean, think about the first movie. It was about enlisting, learning what it is to be a Kingsman, trial and error. Here, they have no other countrymen. They have to use this organization. And I think it's a little bit strange that they've never heard of each other and they were linked together by just a bottle of bourbon in a vault. What's weird is it feels like that Doomsday Protocol goes away. I felt like, oh, this is how we got to rebuild or something, or this is what you got to do to save the world because everything's gone to hell. No, it's just a way to bring these two groups together. I think the cleaner way to do it would be that if Arthur knew about the statesmen and if Champ knew about the Kingsmen, I could understand the street people not knowing, the main agents not knowing, but there's no way that Tequila should be pouring bourbon on them, explaining what proof is and threatening to set their nads on fire and then threatening to shoot Harry in the head because he doesn't believe them. When in fact, he obviously knows their tech. He knows their watch. He uses Eggsy's own watch to stun him. So he knows everything the Kingsmen have. He knows they're agents, but he thinks they're there to rescue Harry. They found Harry's glasses, so they know what the Kingsman's tech is like. Like, they didn't find their glasses and go, oh, this is just like that weird guy that likes butterflies we're holding. Yeah, here's the problem. The way that it's written, they have been keeping Harry there without knowing where he came from. And so you can't have anybody in the Statesman know about the Kingsman. Otherwise, they would have called the Kingsman and said, hey, we got one of your guys. You know what? I buy this thing. I know that there's some complaint about how did they bring him back from the dead? Alpha gel technology, you throw like a putty mask over somebody that's been shot and nanobots fix whatever got grazed by the bullet. 
I'm cool with it. I actually like that. I was prepared to not like how they were going to bring Colin Firth back from the dead. I'm completely fine with that, but I'm not fine with the fact that nobody knew that he was from England and the Kingsman. I'm okay with that. I mean, I know a guy, I, I work with a person whose husband was shot in the eye and he lived. It was touch and go, but he lived. So I understand that if he was shot in the eyeball, there's a chance that he could have lived through that. What's not likely is Valentine, not even looking at who he's shooting, gets someone perfectly in the eye, but that's neither here nor there. Well, yes, and it is very believable that Valentine didn't really check the body because he was going to throw up, but what I don't necessarily go with I get with fine with them not knowing he's a Kingsman because he doesn't remember who he is. He has amnesia. It's a side effect of this gel technology, these nanites. You know, my coworker's husband didn't need nanites to survive. Because they don't exist. <laughs> yes. But so I don't think they needed that, but I guess they wanted some reason to explain amnesia. I'm fine with the high tech stuff in a spy movie. But why did they keep him in a padded room for a year drawing butterflies on the wall? I mean, we're led to believe that uh, Ginger Ale, who seems to be the most actually friendly, she's the Merlin version of the American team, that she's hoping that at some point that he'll tell her who he is, where he came from, and she's willing to give up because by this point, if he's meeting fellow compatriots and doesn't recognize Eggsy, doesn't recognize Merlin, then maybe this is as good as it gets. That they're hinging it on that there might be triggered a trauma from the past. The problem, I would say, is that the middle of the movie doesn't know where it wants to spend its time. It goes to Glastonbury, it goes to Cambodia, it goes all over the place. If it's about the statesman, that's where we need to be. If it's always been about, if you're bringing back Harry, it's about Harry and Eggsy. And getting him back and, and having him forget to be the lepidopterist and get back into his old skin as a spy is done too quickly. It's done too surface. And I feel like that is the meat of the movie. That's what I wanted to see in the middle of this movie is those two characters working through it. Wouldn't it be better if Harry had become like just hanging around these statesmen had adopted this American attitude and Eggsy had to be the one to refine him again? We see a flashback earlier where Harry taught Eggsy how to use all the different forks and everything. I think that would have been a good development. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So we should have written this. Yeah. Colin Firth <laughs> should have had a lasso. Yes. He should have had chaps. They should have really had him integrated in this team. We needed to spend more time with the statesmen. That is your funny fish out of water comedy. That's where it's at. But I feel like instead we're going to get a lot of repeat stuff. They're going to try to get Harry to remember everything. So we're going to do the drowning scenario again. And is he going to punch the screen like Eggsy did? And we're going to bring, you know, eventually the dog brings him back. I don't have pets, but maybe that would do it for you. I know Arnie, you love your dogs. I mean, attempting to shoot the dog is a problem, but you say that they do this too quickly, Stuart. My problem is they spend way too much damn time on it. They should, if he was a statesman, you could do it in the middle of the plot. You could take him out in the action. They keep him in this rubber room, and meanwhile, Channing Tatum starts developing a blue rash, and we're going to go to Glastonbury Music Festival to have Agent Whiskey be introduced. I think another mistake here is you have Agent Tequila and Agent Whiskey. I think it would be good if you combine those characters. Obviously, you're not going to want to kill Channing Tatum. You want to have him possibly come back for a sequel because he's one of the biggest stars in the world. But the fact that Tequila has to go on ice and Whiskey's going to come in from the New York office and then they're going to go all the way to Glastonbury. Meanwhile, Harry's just staying in the padded room. They should have gone to Coachella. Again, my argument is <laughs> if we're going to America, let's explore America and, and all of that culture. And again, where does this movie want to be? Where does it want to take us? 
The reason why I say it takes, why they rush through it, why it's so quick that they turn Colin Firth back is because you wouldn't take someone that's mentally deranged. It's not a spy who thinks that they collect butterflies out into the field. They have to get him to a point where he remembers that he is a Kingsman in order for him to be a part of the mission. So they do that very quickly so that they can take him along. But yet they do it very quickly with him, but it's still an hour later in the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's pacing problems galore and the balancing act of what they did in the original movie where they were having people try out at the same time we were learning Valentine's plot much better done than it is in this movie. It's kind of a mess. And and again, I don't get a strong sense about they know exactly when they need to be where they're at. You say there's a longer cut. That explains everything. They had too much footage, basically. They had too much setup. And I wish it was Whiskey who had the balloon line show up and had to be put on ice. I mean, Pedro Pascal, I he does kind of a Burt Reynolds thing here. I don't know if you saw The Great Wall. I have oh. seen The Great Wall, and it is not great, and he is awful in it. it Be nice. I guess he does as good as he can with Matt Damon doing this weird accent, <laughs> but Channing Tatum just feels like if you're doing that statesman cowboy thing, I feel Channing Tatum pulls that off. Yeah, bring that cowboy to this music festival in Glastonbury. It's just going to be funnier. It should be said. I mean, I read very little about the making of this movie, nothing beforehand, very little afterwards. But the one interview I did read with Taron is that Channing had another commitment, that they had a script lined up in a major storyline for him, and then things changed, and they were like, up. Oh, okay, well, we're not going to cut him out entirely, so let's just give him this plot where he did drugs on the job and he's in a cryo tube. And so it it feels like too little. And yeah, we get a character who I really like. I like Pedro, but I know I like him from Narcos. Okay, I haven't seen it. He is a very fine actor when he wants to be, and I think he is very believable as a cowboy uh, with a hidden agenda, but he isn't who we wanted in these moments. And again, I think this movie, its big problem is it doesn't know where it wants to be at any given moment. I don't really know this actor. I guess I've seen him on Game of Thrones because I looked him up. He was on episodes I watched. I don't remember him from it. He kind of gave me a Jeremy Renner vibe, though. You know, he's got that kind of face and everything. But I think there's some scenes cut with him, too, because we're going to find out later on that he has an ulterior motive. Watching this the second time, I watched every whiskey scene. They never explain. They never even tell how Harry knows this. It's just, it's a feeling. It's maddening. No. There's not a single clue drop. There is no way in this theatrical cut. And I just keep saying that because I believe that there will be extra scenes or a longer cut on video that may help some of these pacing issues and explanation issues. But I do have a good time with him, though, at the beginning where he and Eggsy are going off. We see that... Tilda is going to show up again. She got Eggsy a new dog. She's got some attachment issues. She's like, you need another reason to come home. So I got you a new pug before he goes off. And that's going to be a thing because he's going to have to try to seduce a woman. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame her. It would be very nerve wracking to know that it's your husband's job to go around and be James Bond and sleep with every woman that he can. And I definitely feel like the first movie is funnier. I feel like when they try to be as edgy as the last movie, they remind us the anal sex joke here. They're going to do a whole bunch of with fingering not as funny it's a forced joke come on if you're gonna make a tracker you're gonna make a tracker that you gotta stick in someone's hole to track (laughs) them that's just bad design yeah it's a forced joke it is i understand from one degree that you want it in their bloodstream it cannot wash off it doesn't come off with the clothes they got goddamn nanite it's haven't drilled it into their blood or something it's a little robot It, it was part of the training in the last film that you had to seduce a target in order to advance to the next stage 
the three were sent out there. We're kind of replaying that beat here with Whiskey and with Eggsy, both going after Charlie's girlfriend there. It's a fun scene. I like this, the way Eggsy plays it off. And I, I kind of, because I'd seen the last one, I'm like, is he negging? Is he opening with a general topic that brings her into the conversation? But it does not pass believability. But where it goes is truly shocking. You know what doesn't pass believability is that she doesn't hear him talking on the phone in the bathroom, which is a tent. There's no walls here. There's no insulation to dampen your voice. If there are tents like this, I've never gone to music festivals because I'm not one for roughing it. But if you can get me this, like, sweet posh hotel room of a tent i'll go to these festivals oh yeah they do i mean it's about money at this point i went to coachella in the early days when it was was about the music man it's changed i stopped going because i felt like it ended up being oh great we look at what we're wearing and we can put it on instagram my reference being coachella never been to glastonbury but it was modeled on glastonbury yeah the idea is that you you rough it it's hard if you really want to enjoy the music you're going to have to get dirty and muddy and dusty and that was the fun of it, was that, you, you know, it was people that really cared about music would go. And then, yeah, suddenly these mega tents would show up and rich people would not get dirty and muddy and would have their own VIP area. I mean, I think there's some pretty good satire here, but I guess, like a lot of things, we don't spend enough time with Clara to really care about her one way or the other. She's important only to the plot because she is the ex-girlfriend, maybe current girlfriend of Charlie. And Charlie is their only lead. Again, nobody knows knows about the golden circle it sells the most drugs to anyone in the whole world and no agency has any intel on it at all and any henchman that dies is gonna have a golden circle tattooed on them yeah they're literally advertising it on their body again all of these ideas this script needed some work it needed some finessing it really there are plenty of interesting ideas but the jumble on which it's coming out is really messy but one of the interesting ideas i like is seeing a james bond like character who wants to get permission from his girlfriend before he seduces the woman i mean we talked about that when we did the whole james bond series was how much of a cad James Bond was and in the 80s with the AIDS crisis and afterwards he's tried to be more monogamous and try to be with one woman or be turned away by the other one or something here I really enjoyed Eggsy being like I kind of got to save the world situation I've got to sleep with this hottie to save the world and the way she's like he says I want to spend the rest of my life with you she's like is that a proposal because if we were committed I think I'd have a different answer that was cool I agree that was again when it's about character you always win. I mean, that's what I want to see. It's easy to satirize Americans and say we're dumb cowboys or what have you. But when you have these kind of conflicts in the spy movie, this is terrain that hasn't been done before. God knows we've done plenty of fingering jokes and all of that stuff. But yeah, when we get to the idea that I could be comfortable with you seducing other women, but I know that you're coming home to me because we wear the same ring. And he doesn't want to do it, not because he doesn't want to commit to her. He's sincere about that. What he doesn't want to do is become a public figure. He's worried that by being a prince, he can no longer be a spy. I think that just even dating a princess, if you judge by princess die standards, you're already in the news. People already know who you are. But then again, not every princess is princess die. I don't know any. Come on, what do you know about Swedish royalty right now? Precisely. I know nothing about <laughs> Swedish royalty right now. And so maybe if he did get married, it would raise that specter a little bit. It's something for the third movie to explore. I'm sure they will. I think that'll be, again, anytime that you can satirize Bond, that's good. Anytime you can do something that Bond hasn't done, that's great. Yeah. 
And I like that he's not going to do it. He cares more about his girlfriend than about this possible link to the mission and what's going to take. And so he's ready to walk out till he sees her golden circle tramp stamp. And then he realizes this is saving the world. This is saving his friends. And he doesn't even know at this point it's going to be saving his girlfriend. And so we do get a CGI labia that I did not expect. Oh, okay. I mean, and yet, again, after Deadpool and the first movie, and kick ass is this so shocking is it so surprising i i feel like it's desperate to shock no it just feels juvenile at this point yes i mean i feel like this film again it's a sequel so we got to try to upstage ourselves so instead of having a ass fucking joke we're gonna have a water sports oh you could pee on me joke like i do feel at times when they're trying to up themselves with the gross out stuff it just falls flat for me it doesn't feel as sincere I'll say for my audience, this got a big reaction. They did not expect to see this. Well, good or bad, though. (laughs) You know, any reaction is a good reaction. Vaughn wants to shock. He said that he really does want to lull people into a sense of familiarity and then shock. I found it interesting Taryn Egerton was not comfortable with this scene. And so when you see the hand come in, it's actually that actress whose name is Poppy. Poppy Delavine. Yeah, I noticed that. It's her husband's hand who comes in and actually goes down into the panties because Taryn was uncomfortable doing that as an actor as well as his character was as a spy. You know, there's so much CGI going on. I didn't assume that there were any hands going anywhere. That's a real shot. Yeah, that's actually a real hand going down real panties into real areas. But then, of course, when the zoom in happens on the panties and we see the tracker, I don't think that's real. No, that's all CGI. They didn't call her gynecologist. No, they did not. They did not take her to the obstetrician's office and ask for the micro cam to follow something up. So anyway, I think we're all saying the same thing, that this movie is desperate to try and top itself and it's only partially succeeding. That's what I'm getting the sense. By this point, it's the mid of the movie, is that there's things that I've enjoyed, there's things that are firing. Not unlike Colin Firth himself, not quite firing in exactly the right way. His aim, he may be back to who he was, but he can't quite pull off what he did before, hence why we have another bar scene. Manners maketh the man, and he can't get the glass to hit the guy in the head. Here's the problem. I thought the statesman had set this up to test Harry, because it's staged <laughs> the same way as that fight in the first Kingsman. He's going to lock the door. Here's what would be funny to me is you get Eggsy and, and Whiskey. They're sitting at the table. It, what if it was just them talking about, man, Harry's not back to who he is. And you're just seeing him like get flopped around in the background. The fact that they're going to try to reestablish the same shots and the same actions of that first one, it feels tired and lazy to me. It's not funny. What's funny is that that was happening in the background, kind of like the opening to Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where you just see Groot dancing around while all the action is happening somewhere else. Yeah, I was thinking about Guardians and all those sequels. Whenever you have a movie that makes a comedy, that makes such an impact. Uh, another one was Ghostbusters too. I kept thinking about it. It's like, it's that dance of like, we want to make riffs on our old jokes and remind people why they loved us to begin with. But if you do too much of that, it starts to feel like you don't have enough new in the bag. And there were certainly times in this movie where I felt like they were repeating things purely as a victory lap, just to brag that, hey, we really killed it last time. 
and not because they had anything funny to add by restaging it. One of the things I think they recycle that perhaps they necessarily shouldn't have is bringing the American president into it. Last time we had Obama conspiring with Valentine. This time, I don't know who the hell we have as the American president. I'm trying to figure out. I don't know why it's not a Trump impersonator. I mean, look, that's divisive, but they did it with Obama. Why wouldn't you have a Trump-type person going, yeah, let all the druggies die? Because that feels like something Trump would say. Why not give him orange skin or something? I don't know. I feel like they maybe they're afraid of offending the Midwest and not getting those ticket sales. I don't think anybody knew until November 9th Trump was going to be our president. There's not a lot of president stuff in here. They could have reshot it. Uh, you're right. They could, if they had wanted to, they definitely could have made something closer to our current president. And it seems very strange. Not only does he not resemble Hillary, Trump, Bernie, or anybody that was up for the job, or even Bush. I was like, well, he's a little bit Bush because he's got a Texas accent. They're going all the way to Reagan. Like, I feel like this is a war on drugs. Like, this is a president whose stance is so tough that anyone that takes a drug deserves to die. We're not there. I mean, come on. Bush Jr. did drugs well-known obama did drugs don't tell me trump's not done drugs i mean come on I, yeah this or he needs to this not reflecting our world is the, my real struggle here if you're going to bring in a contemporary politics make it feel like it's relevant otherwise it's taken it too far out of this world what I read was this movie was filmed and Vaughn thought Hillary was going to be president. And so what I think we see here is possibly a Hillary ascending to presidency at the end. I'm not quite sure. But this president here, I was getting a little bit of Bush Jr. because he did have the Southern accent. But he was such a hardliner. I almost did see some Trump parallels in that you broke the law, you took a drug, therefore you deserve to die. It seems almost like the same hardline stance against immigration and so many other things. This is the law, and so you follow the law or you don't. The fact that the president is gleefully excited that all the drug users are going to die, it bores me, and it makes me upset that... If Poppy is the number one drug dealer across the globe, I feel this entire movie is way too U.S.-centric. They come to the States. They deal with the president. Yes, she only wants the U.S. to legalize. Yeah, she has a line. She throws it out there that she feels like the United Nations is ineffective. Ergo, she's going to talk to the president because he's really the most powerful man in the world. And come on, like America, we do live like that. We, the POTUS is always the most important one in the room, right? I guess that's how they're able to, like, mobilize football stadiums with automatic cranes and cages so quickly. Like, we can't even save people when there's a hurricane going on. Get boats out there to rescue them. But he's got individual cages for every druggie. And they're, like, stacked up in that auditorium with crane. I don't know. It it's crazy. Again, this world it does have that crazy sci-fi. But sometimes it goes a step too far in this movie. Strangely, I'd have gone with that aesthetic in an X-Men first class type scenario. It reminds me of, like, where maybe they would have mutants, you know, is in these individual cages in some warehouse somewhere, but it's not fitting this universe. It's going a little too far. And it's just bugging me, maybe because of the age we're living in, that she's dealing with the president and wants the president to stop the war on drugs. Work with China. They got a way bigger population than us. You're going to get way more markets in China than in the U.S. I'm just like, the president can sign an executive order, but then when he's no longer in office, the next president can sign an executive order to undo it. We saw that exact thing with Obama and Trump. I do feel, again, that British filmmakers, maybe they don't understand American politics. Like, we'll get it when we get to impeachment at the end. It don't work like that, but... There's just not a king of America who can make that law like that. And so it really bugged me in that 
Poppy's plan was so lame-brained. She never does a drug, but this is a pot-headed idea. No, I, I don't have much to add. You guys are exactly <laughs> right. And that is the biggest difference between the first movie and this one, is that I was so riveted. It was so scary what was going on in that first movie that you just feel for all, potentially all this mass death. Maybe you didn't care for the people in the church, but to know that was going to happen all over the world was terrifying. And it really even challenged the, our ability to laugh and have an entertaining, fun ride. It was so scary. Here, this thing is so ridiculous, so far removed, as if we live in a United States that doesn't allow for recreational drug use of marijuana and such. It's just that just say no mentality is 30, 35 years old. It just doesn't have any relevance now. The other surprise to me is with Poppy. I mean, the whole plot here is she has an antidote to this drug. You legalize it and she'll fly it out on drone. She's got it ready to go. I think this is a bluff that she doesn't have it ready to go. I don't know what her game is, but really she invested all that money into free, I don't know, medication's very expensive to develop and she's got her antidote here ready to go. And we see that, that she's going to keep her word when we go to Italy. Yeah, this is entirely stupid that <laughs> she would spend so much money, I mean, in the drones, having them all ready and the antidote, you could save so much money by just having the poison act slower, you know, and have a few guinea pigs. Or not poison anyone and just keep selling drugs yeah i mean if she doesn't have an antidote no matter how you look at it she is killing her target customers i mean imagine if i could come up with an, a sound wave that would kill every now playing listener why would i use that you know because then we're not going to have any listeners it's not smart to kill your customers i mean ginger ale even says that at some point early on when they're looking at the blue rash it can't be the golden circle it, it makes no sense it, if only, you know, yes, it doesn't make sense. But unfortunately, the plot is going to insist that that Poppy thinks this is a good idea. But finally, we are going to get to Italy. And so the fingering of the girlfriend did matter because she did some drugs at Glastonbury and needs to get a cure. And Charlie is going to go a little bit rogue. He's going to, without telling Poppy, give his girlfriend the cure. They have to meet at the ski resort. Meanwhile, Harry did get his memory back. He's not himself. He's seeing butterflies for some reason, but he... Eggsy is going to insist that he goes with Eggsy and Whiskey to the ski lodge. Yeah, again, I, if we had spent more time with Eggsy and Harry, I feel like understanding that he wants him to be there and needs him to be there, that would be believable. But yeah, if the guy really is seeing things and you've been on missions without him, again, this conflict is just not set up in the proper way. But we know how it's going to go. Harry's asked to stay at the bottom of the ski lift. We know the second he fires his watch dart and it misses and hits the computer screen that this is a character who we can't trust. Now, what the movie's ultimately going to ask is, is he crazy? Is he wrong to think that Whiskey has got his own agenda? And they'll never answer that question. They will never give us proof why he suspects Whiskey to be a traitor. No, again, watched it a second time looking specifically for that. Because if you give me some clues and you make it a fun game, you're playing fair. I'm guessing they're all on the cutting room floor. I, Vaughn is smart enough to put them there. I think there's one scene. Let's talk about it as a concluding scene to the big action moment. And because whatever you feel like the plot is doing at this point, it's a whole lot of fun to watch spies get slung around 
around on a ski lift. Yeah, this cable car scene. We need this action. It has been an hour. Yes, please. Mm. We really needed this action scene to happen, and it's a fun way that it happens, the way Eggy is going in pretending to be the messenger to take the cure to Singapore, and he's almost going to get away with it if Charlie didn't see him, and right there, so much duplicity that Eggsy isn't who he says he is, that... Clara knows Eggsy, and what happens in Glastow stays in Glastow. Everything comes out right there, and it's really going to spiral, pun intended, into some fun action. Except they don't establish that Whiskey has a parachute, and I feel that is bad writing or bad editing, because they probably set that up. I mean, that is the resolution to this giant ski lift it's heading towards the old people i i don't know that's funny i guess we'll kill the elderly just sitting there watching it the biggest laugh of both times i saw the movie the best shit i've had in three weeks brought down the house brought down the house <laughs> that did get a big laugh yeah the two old men next to me loved it they know exactly what you mean every one of those old people in the audience it's funny. It's a funny bit, but it, you're right. I think I was just longing for something to happen. I was longing for our hero to do something that felt concrete. And here, yeah, he's got the flask. They could potentially go and make their own version of it and release it without Poppy's consent. And that would be great because you got a lot of people standing around with twiddling their thumbs. And they're going to have to meet at the secondary rendezvous point because everything went to shit. And... They go to this cabin, and stupidly, Eggsy's like, I want to look at it. I want to hold it up by the fire, <laughs> instead of just leaving it in its secure metal case. And then when the G.I. Joe snowtroopers show up to attack, Whiskey's going to say, get down, knock Eggsy's hand. This is the only thing, is yes. if you look at it, it is so clear he knocks Eggsy's arm to smash that bottle, but... Okay, maybe if I saw it a second time, it'd be more clear, but the fact that Eggsy took it out of the metal container, I'm like, oh, that's going to break. They're going to lose that. That So it wasn't a surprise when that happened, and it didn't make me think Whiskey was a bad guy because it happened. Yeah, it's there. If you need a moment, he's eyeing that cure suspiciously, and he slaps it out of Eggsy's hand, and Eggsy's mad about it. Why would you do that? I'm not more important than the millions of people that would be saved by that cure. And they have another action scene that Whiskey's atonement is he's going to have to go out there solo, take down all of these fighters with his lasso. That's fun. Yeah, we get that cut in half scene. It was almost the closest we got to the church scene, where you get to see one person solo just killing like crazy. We were introduced that he not only had the retractable whip, it's now like a lightsaber whip, which did exist in some Star Wars books. I keep waiting for them to put it in one of their endless movies now. But there, he has a light whip, and he's going to be like a cowboy, the way he's twirling his guns around his fingers while he's shooting everybody. And meanwhile, Harry and Eggsy are just standing in the cabin arguing over whether to trust Whiskey while Whiskey's out there getting the job done. I like Whiskey at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, he cuts that guy in half as he jumps through the lasso. I mean, I think I saw that in a the trailer. They spoil a lot of this, but it is a great scene. Do we have to have him be the villain? I guess would I, I would say. There's too many villains. We got Poppy. We got the president. We got yeah. Whiskey. Too many. And more to the point, if this was about the Brits needing the Americans, 
we needed more moments of them working together and learning their ways. And again, I think playing along, it would be fun to see them toss their suits for a while and put on chaps and cowboy hats and what have you here. I mean, it, what it does is it shows that Harry isn't crazy. They have this debate for the rest of the movie is, did he need to be out in the field? Is he dangerous? He was wrong to pull his gun out and shoot whiskey in the head. But I think I knew at that moment, there's no way that they would calculate this to have Harry make that big a mistake. Sure, maybe he can miss a dart or, or sling the cup in the wrong direction there's no way that they're going to have him shoot and kill a character at point blank if this was anybody else making it other than mark miller and matthew vaughn i'd agree with you but when harry shoots him in the head point blank i didn't even immediately think what i should have oh they can fix that with these gel packs yeah they carry those gel packs with them they eggsy puts it right on them yeah and he is fine. So, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe the, the case could be made. I would just say I'm not fooled by this ruse. And unlike the last movie where I felt like there were three or four really good twists, a lot of times I feel like I'm ahead of this movie. I can predict where it's going before it gets there. I never do because I thought, again, that Eggsy would end up with Roxy. I thought Whiskey would be proven right, but and I didn't know what the deal was with Harry. Oh. You did. You, you guys believe that Whiskey was innocent. Well, because they haven't given me any evidence, and, and that's my big problem. Yeah. Is that I always thought, it, yeah, it, hey, we Brits and Americans need to trust each other. I thought that was going to be the life lesson. I wish you guys were right. I would have liked that better. But I just had a gut feeling that this was the redemption for Harry, that he would know what the young guy wouldn't know. And he has the cool aftershave. I, I, I did like this little gadget. Yeah, that was a great scene when he throws that aftershave. And they look like those plastic soldiers. They're all frozen in this plastic goo sadly it reminded me of a scene from suicide squad so i was like oh boy that's not no that's never a good thing if i'm reminded of that scene in suicide squad where everybody turns to black plastic but it is going to lead very quickly to the finale eggsy's been trying to get in touch with tilda ever since the seduction of clara and she calls him she's infected with the drug she's in the mania stage so she's going to call him and talk until she's into the paralysis stage which is going to get eggsy off the bench and be like we know where poppy's base is where is it <laughs> no yeah you're having the struggles that i did the first time i watched this i'm like how and why did they exactly get there it was really only the second time that he for some reason in italy when he was picking up the vial they associated him with this name Wu Ting Feng. Oh, I, I think I slaughtered that. Sorry. Yeah, some Asian name. <laughs> but anyway, they, they had a name associated to him. And by Googling that, they're able to find out he works at a law firm in Singapore. And we have a needless scene of a lawyer coming to Poppy to sign contracts when that should have happened weeks ago before she unleashed the blue rash. Yeah, these blue rash people are about to die. and She's just signing the law that she wants the president to put into place. This is a rewrite. This is when Channing Tatum flaked on them and they had to do other things and they had to bring whiskey in they did other things i this is not the story they wanted to tell or there were other areas to get them here this is really lazy and lame the way that they get us into that conflict but you're right the interesting thing about it now are the stakes liam is infected that his girlfriend is infected that the president's assistant is infected that masses of people are going to die hundred million i think is the statistic that's something to think about. I mean, I do wish this movie would give more consideration to the idea that hundreds of millions of people use drugs that are banned and outlawed. And what does that mean about our policy towards them? That's my problem. And I've said it before. It doesn't take drug use seriously, especially in our day where, again, I can 
walk down to the corner and buy some spliffs and get high right now on the air. And it, at least in California law, it's not illegal. Yeah, I felt like the first movie, it had the point. Here, I don't think anybody's going to say the best thing to do is kill drug users. The best thing to do is get them off drugs if that's your goal. But you're not going to think, Let's just murder everybody. Let's poison this. That's a good thing. Nobody can side with the president, whereas a dark part of you might be able to side with Valentine. And nobody's going to side with Poppy. Poppy does not have a charismatic personality that inspires you to go to her. I think that's why she has to keep building so many robots and has so few henchmen. It's because she doesn't have a whole lot going on to bring you to her side. I don't want to get tattooed by her. That's for sure. No, But Poppy is right about one thing. I mean, she makes the point to Charlie that sugar's a drug and alcohol's a drug, and that's a good point. The statesmen, the very heroes of this adventure, are gotten where they are because they market this stuff, you know, brown poison. And it's not just the statesmen. We're seeing King, they're always drinking their martinis and whiskey. Like, I do feel that's a ball that's dropped. Is I think alcohol has killed a lot more innocent people through drunk driving than that, than someone shooting up and passing out or ODing in their own apartment. Yeah, it's a complicated issue. I guess my point is it's a complicated issue that deserves more attention than this silly movie is going to give it and poppy herself doesn't have enough time to make the case for why she's doing it in any kind of credible way it just ends up becoming the most campy roger moore bond really at the end here yeah i feel like vaughn is trying to give a legalize it type speech when the secretary of state fox is there like i work a 20 hour day seven days a week for you sometimes i need something to pick me up i feel like that's the most impassioned plea to appeal to drug people other than people Eggsy likes use drugs but to have somebody stand there and plead the case of why they use drugs why they have to have the illegal substances is the closest this movie is going to get to having any kind of thesis on it and it's still very empty yeah and again we got an opioid crisis going on in America because a lot of people they get on painkillers to manage their pain which is very real and then those pills go away they're very heavily regulated it's hard to get a prescription for them so they turn to heroin I just feel like to demonize drug users by oh we're gonna kill them all and i think a lot of people go yeah let them die that's their attitude that it's not looking at a very serious problem seriously enough i'm willing to bet that vaughn was willing to go there and that maybe some of the things got cut got cut because a major studio is not willing to go there and because it is confrontational and you don't want to end up making the case for legalization i mean i i or i don't know some might (laughs) all right i don't i think about arnie and you know meth and all of that you're right some drugs maybe but it's probably too big an issue for this movie or any movie to tackle thoroughly i think it ends up being just more about respect the people that help you that yes the president's secretary of state you know was working hard and so she deserves more respect than to be thrown in a cage and merlin god knows he deserves more respect than what this movie is going to do to him in the climax yeah he's stuck in a room with ginger ale just like type type typing on a computer the whole time Yeah, she wants to be an agent in the field and she's being denied. And he, for some reason, gets to be an agent in the field so that they can kill him. And now, there's a couple of things that go on here. First of all, that scene with Ginger Ale. We haven't talked much about Halle Berry in this film. She doesn't do much in this film. I like her in this film. You like that haircut? Man, I can't believe she agreed to that. To me, I was really afraid of going back to those James Bond jinx days when I heard she was in this film. She, (laughs) I think, rises above that. But I feel a little dazed 
confused. I keep getting older. She keeps staying the same age. I don't understand what she has going on. She's a millionaire. She has all kind of drugs available to her to keep that young looking. Mm-hmm. But that scene where she's like, do they ever let you out in the field? This is the only anti-whiskey thing the whole movie. Every time I ask to be an agent, whiskey votes against me, which does not mean he's anti-drug. It just means he doesn't think Halle Berry's a good agent is how I take it. And so that scene's inserted. Now, I mentioned earlier, I drew attention to the fact that Charlie's wearing this blue suit. When they're flying the Statesman plane over to Cambodia, Merlin comes out, they replay looking good Merlin, feeling good Eggsy, and he opens up the pool table and there's all the munitions. There's the baseball bat that's a minesweeper that doesn't apparently fucking work. (laughs) I'm so glad you make that point. Yeah, that makes me mad. I like Merlin, and there's just no reason to do what they do in the next scene when they arrive in camp. None. Zero. Well, come on. He, he's coming back. No, well, here's the thing that I'm trying to say is, in that pool table was a blue suit. It's the same blue suit we saw Charlie wearing earlier. Oh, good eye. You're right. There it is. And they filmed scenes later on of Merlin coming back. He wore the blue suit, and he got his legs blown off. And in fact, he was in a wheelchair at the end of the film where Ginger Ale gets promoted to whiskey and he had robotic legs in the wedding. Test audiences said this is too big a fucking sheet. His death is so emotional that you just undid that. After undoing Harry's death, it's too much. They digitally erased him from the scenes. Oh, interesting. They got one thing right. His death is emotional. I felt more with his death, and maybe it's Mark Strong's performance than with Colin Firth's in the first one. Like Maybe it's the fact that with that London, I think he's trying to do like a faux Scottish accent. I, he was born in London, but he's singing John Denver. I don't know. I like Mark Strong in these films. I like the Merlin character. Yeah, because he's not upper crust. You know, you get the sense that most of the Kingsmen, Taron Eg- Edgerton, I mean, Eggsy is the anomaly. Usually they are Oxford- Cambridge, you know, blue-blooded through and through, you get the sense that he even says it. The reason why I wasn't targeted, the reason why a missile didn't come to my house is because I'm just the help. And so he wasn't deemed worthy of being executed with a missile here. And so I think because he is relatable in that way, he is in many ways a better mentor and has spent more time with Eggsy than Colin Firth's character has. And that's a mistake of the writing. If we're to care about Colin Firth, if you're bringing him back, there needed to be a whole lot more between them yeah i think that especially since we dealt with mark strong through the entire first movie we got to see him break down and cry over the bourbon in this movie he didn't do much after they got there nobody did much after they got to kentucky really and you had to predict i mean if we're predicting things the one thing i thought was going to happen that didn't they're going to hook up right i mean that was a romance in the making yeah again i thought we were going to get a lot more collaboration between the statesmen and the kingsmen and that doesn't happen Because we should have. (laughs) We should have. I did feel when he died, and I thought it was a very emotional death. You know, it was out of the blue earlier when he is talking to Harry, and it's not much earlier before his death when he's like, who's my favorite singer? Harry's like, how should I know? And he says, it's John Denver. But when he's singing there, he's cutting the trees down. I thought for sure he'd find a way to save his own life. You know, he sacrificed himself for Eggsy. Eggsy was the one who stepped on the mine, even though he had the minesweeper. He uses the deodorant to freeze it, takes it himself. I thought for sure he may just stand there till some bomb people come. I mean, he does take that knife, and I love that scene, like, this knife, this is for me, and it's this huge, I guess not Crocodile Dundee knife, because it's an American one, but again, that's why I love Merlin. Yeah, 
I didn't want him to die. I was actually really upset when he did die. I do agree. Bringing him back would be a cheat, but I'm going to miss Mark Strong in this franchise. He's really good. And they're going to bring him back. He'll have his robot Darth Maul cyber legs. No, you've explained it, Arnie. The only reason for him to do the things that he does is because he knows he's not going to die from it, that he's not sacrificing his life, that he's wearing the suit that will protect him. Otherwise, yeah, it just makes no sense. Why not wait it out? Why sing and draw the guards there? There's only like six guards anyway. I honestly... Honestly, you get the sense, again, with Poppy's loneliness, the reason why she keeps humans around at all is because she wants someone to talk to. She could and probably should just use all the robots because they're the ones that do all the main stuff and they don't betray her. But he does take out those early guards, which never seemed like a big problem given how many guys we've seen Eggsy and Harry take out individually, let alone together. I love that they're in Letterman jackets. I did think that was a funny faux 50s detail. (laughs) Hey, yeah, they're going to break into this and we're going to get a balls out action sequence. Again, I like Vaughn's action. I'm having fun again. This last half hour of the film, I think, is really strong from basically the ski lift to the end. Maybe that's the last 45 minutes. I enjoy this action. It's constantly fun. Am I getting a little bit tired of it? Maybe because we're now just killing what, a hundred goons? But when we see a like carnival stand of snacks blow up and a big giant CGI gummy bear up in the air, it's like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 type humor. No, I feel like Vaughn does this kind of stuff really well. And again, we got it a little bit at the beginning. This didn't feel as plastic to me, which I'm sure there's just as much green screen. I mean, they're going to fight a robot stylist which I love that when that robot comes out and starts shooting at him. But yeah, we got, you know, the umbrella. We got the briefcase this time, which is shooting rockets. And I love the missile going right up the bazooka nozzle and blowing the guy up. A lot of fun at the end here. I wish I was feeling these kind of moments throughout this film and not just kind of bookended at the beginning and end. I like the briefcase that Eggsy has too. The way that it fires a rocket, it fires bullets. And then when he runs out, it becomes this giant body shield with a visor. I love that thing. Yeah, the action's good. I can't say I love this, but again, I think these are just carryover problems I'm having from how sloppy it's taken to get here and how they just killed my favorite character. And there are things that are irritating me and don't feel well-earned. But yes, the action is good and we needed it. And so I'm not going to shun the taste that I'm getting here at the end. I even like, you know, obviously it's a stunt double with Elton John's face pasted on, but, you know, he's doing the drop kick in that feather suit. It does go on a bit long, though, with those dogs. And there's funny moments like Elton John holding his face up in front of it so it won't attack Colin Firth's character. Elton John's face when he does that. That is the only time I like Elton John in the entire movie. <laughs> he makes this silly ass grin and comes in from the side. I already kind of like him playing Wednesday nights all right for fighting too. But when he comes in out of the blue on that dog and just that smile, that is my only Elton John smile of the movie. Uh, the audience was with him. Oh, they loved Elton John. Yeah. They loved Elton John. They thought this was great. To me, this feels like a joke from 10 years ago. They, you know, early in the 2000s, it was just a punchline like, oh, here's Vanilla Ice. We dug up this D-list celebrity or that or what have you. I think there was a Snickers commercial where people get hangry and turn into Aretha Franklin or whatever. Yeah, Betty White. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we've had this joke a lot. And just seeing Elton John say, fuck you, fuck you, didn't do much for me. I he, I don't know why he's here. I really don't get it. No, but I again, it's not all 
all working for me when Charlie comes out with that upgraded arm that shoots the hand off. Like, I feel like I've seen that in something before, but I'm enjoying it here. I think it was Mortal Kombat or Mortal Kombat 2. One of them, there was the guy with the robotic arm that shoots the hand. I don't know if I've gone that deep with Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it's just an old toy thing, too. The Japanese toy with the firing rocket fist. But it was fun to see him. It's a big, elongated battle. I feel Harry gets the worst end as he's going up against Benny and Jet, the robot dogs, and has to use Elton John's help to beat one and then melt the other in the gold. But Eggsy gets the better fight here. Charlie has run off with the briefcase that will release the drones and release the antidote. And these two, it's a grudge match now. And it's a little bit Mortal Kombat, but this has emotional stakes as well as stakes for the world. These two have been at each other's throats since the half hour mark of the first movie. It's good to see them. And really, when Eggsy puts one hand behind his back, I think he's pulling a trick or something. He's going to pull out a special weapon that he goes one arm versus one arm, makes it a fair fight and beats Charlie so quick. I really like that moment. He's a gentleman. I mean, again, it gets back to that idea. The whole beef between these people from the get-go is that Charlie always thought he was better than the street kid. And so here at the end, it's not just about putting on a suit and having more money. This kid, to the end, shows that he is more of a gentleman and fights like a gentleman. And and yeah, this is the fight that I wish the whole climax was. And then Colin Firth is getting kind of the fight that kind of reflects the movie. That's It doesn't know how big it wants to get. It's very loud. Yeah, but they got to bring whiskey into it he's on his silver pony which is like a f-14 or something rushing over to cambodia i don't know where he landed that thing in in the mountains but maybe he parachuted because he has that parachute they never set up yeah it's i guess a top gun joke i think he's got a little bit of tom cruise fighter jet in him here but he's coming into the plot i wish that weren't happening i hate the way they take poppy out just stick her with a heroin needle yeah they set up oh we got this is that what i think it is you know they show this shot you don't know what it is it's gonna be heroin and they're just going to inject her. I I guess, again, I've never done heroin, but you tell your deepest, darkest secrets while you're on it, apparently. Well, it does... I've never done heroin either. It loosens your lips. But as I understand that it does make you very relaxed and things. But the way that they say it is Merlin synthesized your poison. Here's a faster acting version that's going to kill you in eight minutes. Why couldn't he synthesize? I mean, I know they don't have a sample of it, but couldn't he have spent his time working on the antidote instead of making more poison? If you could figure out the poison, reverse engineer it and make an antidote. (laughs) He knows what chemicals are in it. He'd know what chemicals would counteract it and they inject her and what it is is Eggsy doesn't know heroin either and she ODs and it's anticlimactic but this isn't our climax she's been a bad villain the whole time she's not the final fight yeah yeah I I feel like that's a mistake again I don't like the fact that whiskey for the reasons that we're told you know he he wakes up from the alpha gel and they show a Polaroid of his high school sweetheart who was killed by meth heads so he wants all meth heads to die Ah, this is dumb yeah come on guys if you can't rewrite the whole movie you can at least take two weeks and fix this climax (laughs) right they're better than this these guys know how to write. This is the same writing team as the last one. It's first class. It's kick-ass. They're better than this. And this fight is really lackluster in one way to me, which is you've got two Kingsmen, both of whom we've just seen do good fighting. Even if Harry isn't 100%, you got to feel he's at least 90% after what he's gone through. It's a two-on-one fight against a single statesman. The fact that they have to work so hard to beat him isn't that good. I think... 
I know this is supposed to be Eggsy's movie, and Taron Egerton has even said in interviews he hopes in future sequels that the cast doesn't become so big that he is no longer the central character. I'm glad he recognizes that as a threat because I do feel that <laughs> crouching in on him. I, yeah, he isn't a name. I mean, there are nine positions, right? What are the other ones? Presumably, they're going to fill the ranks of the Kingsmen. So yeah, potentially they're going to fill it with bigger names. Channing Tatum gets the stinger at the end of this movie. Yeah, so if you had Harry go up against Whiskey with them having the, had that dispute the whole time, if you had Whiskey really fighting hard that Harry shouldn't be out in the field, and Harry fighting that Whiskey's a traitor, and then cut out those damn robot dogs that don't make a whole lot of sense. I love their Cylon eyes like Knight Rider <laughs> because that's a 70s thing to have Cylons. But beyond that, Benny and Jet, have it be that Eggsy beats Charlie and then we have a one-on-one -on -one where Harry has to prove he's the man he used to be and takes out whiskey alone the fact that it's two agents on whiskey it's pretty it's well staged it's well choreographed but i know how this is ending with whiskey and the grinder yeah and i'm just upset that harry is so quick that he's faster than the speed of light when that light lasso gets lit up it's just things like that uh it's not the speed of light though it's the speed of whiskey's reaction after getting a flash bulb in his face so i believe that he could get it off just in time that's still super fast reflexes for a guy that's seen butterflies still <laughs> yeah, the only thing I like about this is cameo. And and it's not cameo, it's Word Up, the song I know from the 80s, done in uh, country style. I waited through the credits both times I saw this movie, in case I missed it the first time. It says, Word Up, performed by cameo. What? But it eventually came out. I don't know why they weren't credited. I'm interested if it'll be fixed on video. But it was a band called The Boss Hoss, which I don't know if they just sampled Cameo or what happened, but that track is available. Oh, wow. And you know what? It's amazing how quickly that can become a country song. Yeah. Oh, pretty ladies around the world. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of got that drawl to it that a country song could have. You just add a fiddle. Mm -hmm. I'll pass. Oh, I'm getting it. Well, you probably have the whole album, don't you? It wasn't on the soundtrack. I'm pissed. The soundtrack was just the score. <laughs> anyway, I can't say I love the fight. It doesn't feel very suspenseful. Again, think about that first movie. I was on pins and needles watching the mom burst in, trying to knife the baby, mass carnage all over the world. Here, just seeing some people with blue veins. And yeah, that their eyeballs are going to start bleeding. Ugh. Their eyeballs explain. It's gross. Don't get me wrong. It's not. It's just not the same feeling. It is not replicating it. Try as they might. They have asked us to think about the original and then not been able to compete. Yeah, I... I'm really disappointed in that piece of it. But I do like the endings here, you know, that ginger ale is going to become, instead of just a mixer, a full liquor, she's going to be the new agent whiskey, that Eggsy is going to man up and marry Tilda and deal with that, however. And I was surprised. I thought they completely forgot Eggsy's family, but his mother does have a brief insert shot here at the wedding. Did she show up there? She gets one moment in the church. Okay, I missed her because I'm like, wow, what happened to the mom and the sister? Yeah, I guess he had his bruvs. That was the more important one. And, <laughs> and Liam's healthy and I'll agree. I love the idea that we are set up for watching a spy who is going to try to be a good husband while he does his work and be in the media limelight when he wants to be in the shadows. I think those are good tensions to play with next time. And with Tildy, I mean, I never imagined it would be her. I mean, from the first movie, she never ever seemed like she would have staying power. No, that was a joke. You find a woman who's that willing to bend over for anal, you keep her. Wow. <laughs> 
I guess if that's really your thing, explain this to me. So Channing Tatum, he walks up to the Kingsman suit store. You, you know, someone gets out of the car. We see they're wearing cowboy boots. I'm like, because earlier, Jeff Bridges' character, Champ, he's like, you got to wear a, a tie. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be funny. He's going to go get suited up. But he's already suited up. I mean, he, I guess he's an American, so he's wearing a bowler. You know, he, he's kind of dressed funny. But is he a Kingsman now? Is he just visiting? This was such a weird note to end on. I didn't know what I was supposed to take away from it. Yeah, he needed to be in the climax. He needed to be one riding in in the plane and saving the day. And we didn't need Whiskey to be some extra villain. How about if he just shot down Whiskey in another plane? Like, that would have been great. You don't even have to worry about it. I didn't need to dislike this statesman anymore. I wanted to see them do something good. And this stinger at the end is not it. If they're asking me, do I want to see Channing next time? No, I wanted to see him this time. And I'm not sure that I want to spin off or anything more with the Statesman. Yeah, I think I'd like to see him in the movie. I like Channing Tatum. I like his energy. I find that, you know, I know I've really come around on him a lot since like that first G.I. Joe film. I honestly would watch movies just for Channing being in them. And so to have him in there, to have him in here, got me excited for this movie. I'm disappointed how they use him. If he was actually a major character in the next one, yeah, sorry, Taryn, it means you're going to have to share a spotlight, but I'd like to see that fish out of water now. I'd like to see the Southern person dealing with the English gents wherever they go. And do you think that was a anal joke from Elton John about giving Harry a backstage pass? You know what? I, I'm like, why doesn't he just say, you could do me in the asshole? Just say the <laughs> line again. But I'm like, backstage, backdoor. Okay, I guess it's there if you want it to be. I think it would have been funnier if he would have said the exact same line. But maybe that's too risque. I think it's what we're meant to think. I mean, Colin Firth at one point says when he was shot in the face, he regrets that he didn't have any memories, didn't have a life, a personal life. We're assuming that he might want to do it with a woman, but I don't know. I I think (laughs) this moment told us maybe it goes a different way. Colin Firth has played gay and single man, I think it was called, in another country. And so, yeah, I think he'd be cool with that, playing that character that way, if that's the way they want to go. If it's good for Roxy, I guess it's good for Harry and Eggsy. I just don't want them to bring Elton John back, but that's just me. I like seeing Elton at the organ at the wedding, though. That was kind of fun. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Kingsman the Golden Circle? Jacob. Like I said, I took my wife to this. She hadn't seen the first one. And afterwards, I'm like, oh, what did you think? You know, I I don't want to spoil what she thought with my ideas. And she seemed to like it a lot more than I did. And so then afterwards, I'm like, well, let me fill you in. Let me tell you, you know, some of the reference you might not have gotten. And so I recapped the first Kingsman for her. And she's like, wait, that they just redid that in this one then. (laughs) Oh, wait, they just redid that, too. Wait, they they were going to kill everyone in the world? They just they just redid everything. She got very upset. And I'm like, well, that's what I was thinking the whole time I was watching that film. And that, it feels like a throwback to 80s or 90s action sequels where we're just going to do the same thing. We'll change the setting. You know, Die Hard was in a building. Die Hard 2, we'll do it in an airport. And that is really disappointing these days. Now, Arnie, you said Vaughn wanted to do that. He feels that's what a sequel should be. I feel like the characters should grow. And I don't know how much growth happens with the characters here. It's disappointing what they do with the statesman here. I thought, yeah, you, you want to do Southern American cowboy stereotypes? I'm fine with that. Do it well, though. Do it so it's funny. And they don't do that here, and that's disappointing. That said, you know, the action scenes are still pretty good in this film. Like, that ending shootout mostly holds up to what we see in the first Kingsman. So if you're looking for a spy action film, this holds up. It's just... It's poorly written. It's average. And that is the disappointment because with Matthew Vaughn, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, The First Kingsman, they felt like 
better than average. And this is just average. So I, I give it a average, I guess, recommend. It, it's all right. Stuart. Yeah, like, it sounds like we're on the same page. It's, you know, like Harry, the aim is just not quite right. Like they're firing. They know what they're trying to hit. They're not quite on target. I mean, one of the things it's common with sequels is like they don't know how to strike that tone again. And sometimes they push it too far. Sometimes, you know, the first one was genuinely laugh out loud funny. This one's just kind of loud. This one's just kind of gonzo. And th th they confuse sometimes doing the biggest response as being the funniest. Not always the case, at least in my opinion. Another common mistake in sequels, expanding the universe. You forget about what we loved about the first one and the main characters, the relationships. They throw away Roxy. They throw away Merlin. Eggsy and Harry are minimized here. And then the new characters really don't have enough time to be memorable themselves. I think I'd be curious to see that three-hour cut because I think they probably could have struck the balance that I was looking for. And edginess. I mean, the first one was genuinely risky. I responded the first time I saw it. Those issues of class warfare felt relevant and well-integrated throughout the entire story. And here we've talked about it many times. Slapdash, where are they going with? Things get dropped. It's confused. They make a lot of mistakes here. And it is disappointing because we know these people are capable of doing much more. But in the realm of sequels, this is still pretty entertaining. When the low bar is, did I have fun? Yes, it clears that bar, mostly because they're still able to replicate. And the only way that they are as good or maybe even better than the original, they're able to replicate the fun of the action and keep it moving. We don't dally and we don't dwell on the mistakes that are being made because they know how to keep the tempo going. And so for that reason, the movie is fun enough to recommend, but it's a mild green. It's a mild buzz. And so I just want to vocalize that even though I'm giving it a recommend, I want to make sure people understand a huge drop in quality and uh, they should try harder for the third one. One of the things Vaughn said is that one of the problems with doing a sequel, one of the reasons he didn't do one of the others is because you're going to be compared against the original and you have to be better than the original. And guess what, Vaughn? You're right. You're going to be compared to the original and you didn't get that high. I walked out of this theater. I didn't walk out disappointed, but I knew in the theater that I wasn't having as good a time. I was really feeling that hour and around the time that... Harry is underwater and Eggsy is going and finding out that a martini in Kentucky is a shot of bourbon. I'm looking at my watch and going, how long has this movie been going on? That's early on in the film, I think. <laughs> it's about an hour in. And yet I really did enjoy the beginning. I really do enjoy the end. I still enjoy being with these characters, but the mix is wrong. Much like trying to drink straight bourbon, the mix is just a little off on this. Of all the villain movies I've recommended, this is the weakest recommend. Uh, the Stardust, remember Stardust. Yeah, that movie is terrible. Yeah, I said not recommended. This is the, of all the ones I've recommended. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> this is the weakest recommend. Worse than Kick-Ass 2? It is better than Kick-Ass 2. That movie sucked too. Vaughn wasn't involved with Kick-Ass 2 though, so never mind. And you recommend it. That's right, you did. Ooh. I. That's the thing I can give it is by Vaughn being behind the camera, you made a better movie than Kick-Ass 2, but there's too many characters. There's too much going on. You were not a disciplined filmmaker if you filmed over three hours after you cut out of the work print stuff. And he said that he laid seeds here that would be in part three guess what that never works i think he did it more subtly here we're not sitting here like with amazing spider-man going god damn it here's this whole thing about the father that never went anywhere what he did do was lay seeds properly so these characters have places to grow and logical places to take them but i still think there's was too much 
franchise building at the expense of this movie. And we've seen that so many times. Vaughn is one of the better ones to do it, but it still fell into that sand trap. But the action is fun. I like seeing Charlie back. I like reuniting with these characters. But they killed off so many more of them. I'm not so sure I'm excited for a part three or not. Here's what I would say about part three. The big mistake made here, the biggest, if I could single it down to one, was you threw Kingsman away. Like, we love that. We love the British thing. We love the suit. We wanted to meet the other nine. They were so quick to throw all of that away, blow it up, and then all they had was a bunch of lame American cowboy jokes. Let's explore the Kingsman. This was the movie to explore more deeply what it was to be British and a gentleman and a Kingsman. And I feel like that's what I want to see in the third movie. Don't go somewhere else. Don't show us a new organization that's like the Kingsman in Asia. I was already trying to think that. The Kung Fu'smen or whatever they'll come up with. I thought the Frogsmen in France or maybe the Vodka Men in Russia, something like that. <laughs> no, no, don't stray from what was working. Again, we were just going to school in that first one. Now we graduated. We wanted to spend time in the ranks, in the field, with the King's men. Don't change that. I don't want the spinoff. That's what I would say. I don't want the Statesman. I don't even really want Channing. Well, I don't want the Statesman now that I've seen this film because they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, I wanted it before seeing the film. When I went in and I'd seen the action they pull in the trailers, and I'm going to damn these trailers because they showed way too much. I knew when I saw Poppy's Lair and when I saw who Charlie was, I'm like, oh, well, the fight at the end is going to be Charlie versus Eggsy at the Lair because that was all over the trailers. And I'm not usually one who remembers that stuff when I'm watching a movie but they showed way too much but going in I'm like I'd like to see Channing Tatum as a southern Kingsman in his own movie but coming out I'm like no I just want to see a good Kingsman movie and you gave me an okay Kingsman movie yeah it's good enough I think we're all three saying it good movie go see it just lower your expectations it's not as funny or it's exciting or relevant as that first movie. No, it shares all of the first film's weaknesses and then loses some of the first film's strengths. <laughs> yeah. And if you didn't like the first film, there's no reason to go to this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. If you weren't on board, it's not better, for sure. But... That is it for Kingsman. We did this live show because we have so much on the schedule. Kingsman was supposed to be a summer movie, and God knows this summer could have used it. I mean, we're all giving this recommends. It's been a shit year. <laughs> yeah. No, September's been amazing because of it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've enjoyed things, but yeah, the franchises are suffering, and I think they're even seeing that now, that maybe we will be covering less sequels because... Well, they're all becoming TV series. And two, audiences are saying we want fresh ideas. We want originality. We don't want to see so much of a part three, part four, part eight. Yeah, but we have quite a few of those coming up. Yeah, we still got another year and a half <laughs> of greenlit movies that are still coming that they know won't make money. So great. Here we go with Insidious 4. Or insidious for. Yes, but our fall donation drive is underway. Silver level is Phantasm. Gold level is Hellraiser. We're finally getting to that. Platinum level, Jeepers Creepers. And then for the playing level, because there's a new Child's Play movie, donors of $45 or more can also get all the Child's Play reviews, as well as Jeepers Creepers, Hellraiser, and Phantasm. We hope that you can support our show because it's from donors that we're able to do stuff like this crazy wiring setup we have tonight to do a live show <laughs> from California and Illinois simultaneously and to put out all the shows we put out and Stuart can get a tux. <laughs> right. And, and once again, I mean, the reason why we're here is to thank everyone who supported us through Kickstarter 
Look, I'm excited the book is done. It's been a lot of hard work. Oh, wow. And I, I'm excited for people to finally be able to get it that want it. If you haven't placed the order yet, only pre-orders can get autographed copies of this book. So head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. You can order the hardcover or you can order the bundle with the hardcover, the ebook, and get the audio book. And when and the hardcover book comes in early next year, then you get it signed by all four of us authors. We'd love for you to read our thoughts on 125 movies. There's a lot of good movies in there. I mean, Nightbreed, and I'm trying to think. There's no Matthew Vaughn. You're just naming yours. <laughs> a lot of good movies, Nightbreed. That's... <laughs> We don't all agree on what the good movie is, but I think the fun of the book is that we keep the format the same. There is an endorsement for every movie in the book. Whoever has picked it, they're endorsing it. That's why they put it in their underrated movies. But there will be many reviews underneath, and you may sometimes get contrary opinions on those films. So it will retain the back-and-forth quality that we have on the show. All right, so thank you all for joining us. And Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. And hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. I've had a rather emotional day, so whatever your beef with Eggsy is, and I'm sure it's well founded. I'd appreciate it enormously if you could just leave us in peace until I finish this lovely pint of Guinness. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. That'll make you want to slap your mama right there. No, I don't think that'll be necessary. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Is that a proposal? Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews of hundreds of other films, including every movie based on Marvel Comics. There are reviews of Kingsman, The Secret Service, all of the Spider-Man films, the X-Men movies, the Avengers series, and more. Give me a far-fetched theatrical plot any day. You'll also find reviews of other film series, including Batman, Superman, Robocop, Terminator, James Bond, and dozens more in the now-playing podcast archives. I always felt the old Bond films were only as good as the villains. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. You ready? Absolutely. See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find a link on our homepage. Well, I, actually, we had an invitation, didn't we? Yeah. How did you know? Yeah, yeah, it came in the shape of a bottle. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. You can give money by clicking the support link at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. We ain't got much choice, you get me? And if we was born with the same silver spoon up our asses, we'd do just as well as you, if not better. You can also support our show and get dozens of bonus movie reviews. For Now Playing's 10th anniversary, we have opened the vaults. And at our Podbean page, you can donate and get archived movie reviews including the Night of the Living Dead series, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, Jaws, The Exorcist, Jurassic Park, and more. 
Links to all these reviews can be found in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archive section. Whatever's in that safe is the answer to all our problems. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. You've got a bit of a say the world situation here. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's amazing. You will shit. Now Playing is produced and edited by Artie Carvalho. We're here to enhance your skills, test you to limit. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. So you're going to teach me how to talk proper like a my fair lady? The Kingsman films, all audio clips and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known Kingsman films or comic books. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film and comic series. You know what that means. And let me teach you a lesson. The opinions expressed at Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Words to live by, Exit. Words to live by. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Part where you say something really bad, huh? It's like you said to Harry. This ain't that kind of movie, bro. Huh. Is that it? Bourbon is whiskey, but it can only be made in Kentucky. It's aged a little bit longer. It's supposed to be a little bit smoother. Stuart, you studied bartending. Why don't you explain this? You can do it better no, than you're, I. No, you're correct. It's just like scotch can only be uh, made in Scotland. I mean, it's it's all kind of variations on the same thing, but regional. And brown liquor, Arnie. I don't know. I Perhaps I should have warned you. That's not my strong suit. Gin, vodka... I can handle that. I, I'll do a tumbler with you, but uh, I don't know. It, it won't be a drunk cast. It might be a puke cast. <laughs> I didn't take my Pepsi. I like a Jack and Coke, brah. I don't know so much about bourbon, though. I thought it might be smoother than whiskey, and so maybe I do understand bourbon should be served neat, room temperature, no ice. You, you, you don't get to break out your Death Star ice mold? You're going to put any water in that, or? Neat means no water added either. I mean... <laughs> Okay. Thank you, sir. To yeah. our live show, sir. To the fans, <laughs> to the people that supported us, that are here tonight. I'll raise my bottle of water. This is not iced tea like Ali Berry drank at the San Diego Comic-Con panel for Secret Service. This is real <laughs> statesman bourbon. All right. Let's see. Mm. Cool. I could taste it before I put it to my lips. <laughs> wow. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's, that's that is ninety five proof. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, that burns! It keeps on giving. I just want a podcast of you guys drinking that stuff. That's some great visuals. Yep. Uh, maybe the listener should make a drinking game, and when something happens, Stuart and I have to take a sip. Oh. <laughs> ah.
has hacked the Kingsman system to find the location of all their secret bases and fired missiles at them. It even killed Eggsy's pug, JB. Eh. Mm, it's rough. I'm going to do a <laughs> shot for that, actually. Shot for JB. Shot for JB. Oh, JB. <laughs> it does not get any better. <laughs> the poison even infects Agent Tequila and Princess Tilda. But after some exercises, Eggsy is able to restore Harry's memory by reminding Harry of his little pup, Mr. Pickle. What's happening? <laughs> You're taking off your clothes. <laughs> no more shots for you. He's thinking about Channing Tatum and Magic Mike and trying to reenact that. Uh, yeah, I'm alarmed. I'm in the same room with Arnie now, so this is one of the things that's different than the last time. At this point, it's contractually obligated. This is the second movie in one week in which it's had Channing Tatum and John Denver in it. I don't know if you guys have seen Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky has a country roads all over it. Better movie, too. Didn't Alien Covenant also have John Denver calling them to the planet? Ah, uh, don't make me remember. Yeah, I think it did. <laughs> Just makes me sad. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> We are going to spend a lot of time in the States because they execute the Doomsday Protocol, they drink their Statesman whiskey, and they find out my bottle doesn't have this. Yeah, they, they drink a lot more than you've drinking so far. They almost do that whole bottle. Uh, <laughs> sure. I, I'm going to do like the sip. Maybe they can't tell. No, I'll do it. D do a fake Hollywood drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is easier now. <laughs> the more you drink, the easier it goes yeah. down. That just means you're getting liquored up. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. We may see Stewart do a Channing Tatum dance. If he's got enough drinks in him. Maybe. Might get to the mania phase. <laughs> and then they're going to go all the way to Glastonbury Grove. Meanwhile, Harry's just staying in the padded room. It's Glastonbury. Glastonbury Grove is Twin Peaks. We're done with Twin Peaks. Yeah, we're at the music festival. <laughs> okay. I was getting confused there. Yeah, not Glastonbury Grove. <laughs> Gastonbury? Glastonbury. Just Glastonbury, yeah. Okay. Who I really like. I like Pedro, but I know I like him from Narcos. I want to just point out, didn't see the Great Wall, not going to see the Great Wall. <laughs> Maybe I should for some comedy. Matt Damon's accent is amazing in the Great Wall. You know what? Couple more of these. I love the Great Wall. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> when I went to Coachella in the early days, when it was, it was about the music, man, and it's changed. I stopped going because I felt like it ended up being, oh, great, we look at what we're wearing and we can put it on Instagram. You, you didn't try to go to the Fire Festival? What's that? Oh, look it up. It, it was a disastrous music festival where like people are stranded in the Bahamas and they're supposed to have these nice tents and they're just these like <laughs> crummy little pop-ups. It, it, it's great. I can't believe you haven't heard of it. Go look it up. They did not take her to the obstetrician's office and ask for the micro cam to follow something up. Yeah, no. They did do that for Carney. Do you remember that? When she had um, the lap band surgery? Yeah. Carney Wilson? I watched it. My brother-in-law is an obstetrician. I have seen so many cameras go into so many holes. It's unbelievable. But All right, let's move on. <laughs> There's nothing fun about it. It's all very clinical. I don't know that Carney... I, I, I was riveted. But anyway, <laughs> it, we, we digress. So anyway... Got there. Nobody did much after they got to Kentucky, really. No, he's stuck in a room with Jinx for most... Jinx? <laughs> with ginger ale for most of this film. And with Tildy, I mean, I never imagined it would be her. I mean, from the first movie, she never 
ever seemed like she would have staying power. No, that was a joke. You find a woman who's that willing to bend over for anal, you keep her. Wow. (laughs) Wow, they're going to do a shot for that. I guess if that's really your thing, explain this to me, because I'm trying... I thought there was going to be a mid-credit scene, an end-credit scene. We get Channing Tatum. He walks up to the Kingsman suit store. Excuse me. Uh, you guys just take a drink. <laughs> choking. That was that was a big shot. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Your point. Okay. But the mix is wrong. Much like trying to drink straight bourbon, the mix is just a little off on this. I don't know what you're talking about, huh? So... <laughs> You finished it. Damn. And Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. Stuart, thank you for dressing up. Thank you for wearing that hat. I want some oatmeal now. Is anyone else getting like a Quakers <laughs> vibe from what we're seeing right here? It's the headphones. They give them the, yeah, the curly white hair wig look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. The headphones add a little <laughs> extra Quakerness to it all. It's been great.